Please note, for maximum picture quality, it may be necessary to adjust the tracking control on your VCR. The old adage of life imitating art is really hard to unravel in the relationship of this film and the story it depicts. Carlos Fiskerald was an egomatic robber baron who disassembled a steamboat to drag it over a mountain to keep hold of his fortune and his dreams. In the movie Fitz Crowder, we see an egomaniac entrepreneur drag a steamship over a mountain so that he can fulfil his dream of bringing opera to the jungle. In the documentary Burden of Dreams, we follow an egomatic director who drags a steamship over a mountain so he can finish his film and his dream of seeing a steamship dragged over a mountain. This is a... This is a thing. <laughs> this is a whole thing that I wasn't prepared for. And this is Adjust Your Tracking, a podcast where I venture to watch a century of cinema decade by decade, year by year, and I am one half of your hosts, Liam Delaney, and with me is a man as I don't think has ever dragged a steamship over a mountain, but I might be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, I'm Oliver Jones. No, I haven't. I, I think the most I've ever dragged over a mountain is a sledge going tobogganing. I think that's about it. Tobogganing. You, that's, that's a yeah. funny word. <laughs> you, like, is it is it fair to call it a mountain? I know it's a very steep incline, but I think a mountain is a bit of a stretch. I do not know what makes a mountain that's, out of a molehill. <laughs> molehill. <laughs> it's definitely a hill. But like this film, not to to not to bury the leader or anything, but like I don't think this film was amazing. But everything that surrounds it is like it's just fascinating yeah, like i've absolutely not absolutely agree <laughs> i've not gone down a rabbit hole on a film like this before watching like documentaries <laughs> and reading as much as i possibly can about it because it's just it's like life imitating art imitating art imitating life it's yeah. like what is it's it the, the snake, snake eats eat. tail yeah, <laughs> yeah. A, a ribber ross yeah, yeah i always think of red dwarf for that oh, Our ribber ross, ross. Yeah. <laughs> i always think of that the lasting legacy of Red Dwarf in my brain. Yeah. But you're totally right. It's it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. And like, I will talk about Werner and try to talk about him, but I have not... I thought I had some sort of grasp on him a little bit before watching this because he's quite a cultural figure. But watching this and then watching all the stuff around it, I'm like, I don't know him at all. He's <laughs> like an anomaly. You just can't, yeah. you can't figure him out because the... His cadence and the way he talks, he's just very calm. Even when he's angry, he's calm. Yeah, yeah. It's just, he's hard to read. He's just... He's so, very hard to read. You know, this is the guy who's now in Star Wars, you know. That's exactly... If anyone, it's insane. If anyone would have asked me, if anybody who would... He's not the person I would have ever thought would have been in the Star Wars property. It's, it's Which so odd. Which director of new European cinema would you think would end up in Star Wars <laughs> in 2020s? <laughs> <laughs> it's I mean, so it had to be Werner, really. I guess. I don't know. I guess so. Yeah, yeah. It's not going to be Wolfgang Peterson, is it? You know. <laughs> no. <laughs> Although he did almost do Batman v Superman. Yeah, that's so. true. Okay, yeah, that's true. What was it? Was didn't it have a weird title? Was that World's Finest? Was that Mukji? Mukji. <laughs> I have no idea. That that may have been the Mukji. I don't. I don't know. Was Mukji going to do one? I thought he was just going to do Superman. I, I, I no thought idea. it became a Batman season a- script at one point. They've been trying to make Batman versus Superman for like 30 years. So. Probably. probably. Um, so what have you been watching the past week or what have you been up to? It's a beautiful day today. I can yeah. just see out the corner of my window, blue skies and there's tons of tourists in town. You know, we know I live in a tourist place. Sorry, I'm completely just going to talk over you. <laughs> yeah, I know you do. Yeah, yeah. So I live in a big tourist place and I found out this weekend that the ice cream parlour shut forever. 
And it's like... Forever. Forever. They closed down because of, I don't know, COVID, I guess? COVID. But, like, it's, there's one place that could definitely maintain tons of, like, foot traffic and tons of money. It's the ice cream parlour that just closed. I thought that was a shame. It's, it's been weird, though. It's felt like March for the past three months. Oh, Do you know what I mean? God, it's just yeah. been wet and miserable. And then all of a sudden now it's like, hey! Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Just as I've started organising my life to not be, like to kind of get used to the fact that it's raining all the time now it's like sun hello <laughs> but what have i been up to uh it's been caroline's birthday week apparently it's a week you don't you don't just celebrate <laughs> birthdays on a day anymore it's like a whole <laughs> whole week um but we've uh, been going to the park a lot okay it's nice walk seen seen the monk jacks and the rabbits and the 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 ponies they've got. What is it? I've forgotten what they've got. They've got uh, some sort of breed of pony that roams in certain park. Um, you're not seeing them. I'm not seeing them, but I don't know types of ponies either, so I can't help you <laughs> in either I can't way. What they're called now? It's going to bug me now. Anyway, um, yeah, we've uh, we've been out a few times. I won an award as well this week. Well, I wouldn't say I won an award. That's a bit of a lie. But um, there's an animation night that happens every three months that my friend Louis puts on. Oh, yeah. And basically, because I've shown more than five films, like every time you show a film, you get a different badge. So you've kind of got silver, bro- uh, bronze, silver, gold, and then you get a statue once you've shown X amount of films. And because I've shown so many films, I've got like a, a little statue. That's cool. So it's not really an award. It's just like, well done for making stuff. Five, <laughs> five timers club. You're in the five timers club. Yeah. That's always yeah, important. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but it was nice though because it's the first time I've been to a pub with actual people Brandon joined me as well oh, right. and we both went on stage and presented our music video and stuff and that was cool. pretty cool That's really and like cool. it's surprising how normal after a while it felt just to be out again right like I thought I thought I was going to feel really awkward but because yeah. um, I know you've been to been out a bit but I don't know how you feel about it but um, I feel very normal about it to be honest it, doesn't, yeah. it didn't feel weird to me at the start at all. It just felt back to normal, really. Even if yeah, kind of a bit nicer, I think, the pubs are, if I'm very honest. I quite like the table service. Quite like stuff like that. Yeah, like, like yeah. this way, we just had to scan a uh, you know QR code yeah. and pay for it on our table, and it just brought straight to us. Amazing. Yeah, it's so much better than cramming at the bar and, and spending <laughs> yeah. all that time for ages. I think it's it's an improvement. But I have been watching stuff. So, uh, I've started to watch Invincible. I know it's not a film, but, uh, you know, the, the animated series on Amazon Prime. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I've read the first, I don't know, 24 issues of the comic book. And I like the comic book. And for some reason, I just never went back to it. But I'm quite interested to go back to it now. I don't know if you read it till the end. No, I got bored with it, if I'm honest. Did you? I heard the ending was quite good. But, I, I think um, I've heard it's quite good, but if I just, just I just I was out of it quite quickly and I didn't really care about I what mean, they were doing, so I I like I, I haven't read comic books properly in ages, to be honest, and like I kind of get bored if if anything goes over about thirty issues on like, <laughs> Yeah. Like, come on. <laughs> but um yeah, actually the animated series, I'm actually really enjoying. It's got a really good cast, like voice cast. Although uh, J.K. Simmons, he plays Omni-Man. He's kind of like, you know, the Superman in the show. Yeah. Uh, I won't spoil anything for anyone who hasn't watched it. Uh, but um, he looks a bit like a beefed up um, J. Jonah Jameson. <laughs> so it's really hard to kind of disconnect that. It's animated but, um, though, isn't it? So they actually made him look like that. 
Well, I mean, Omni Man looks like that anyway in the comic book, so they haven't really. Uh, I guess so. Changed. Yeah. But you've got Sandra O oh as the as his wife, and uh, is it Stephen Yun? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's playing. Um, I forgot the main character's name. Is it Mark? No, something Grayson, isn't it? It's Mark Grayson. Anyway. Yeah. Is it Mark Grayson? Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's really cool. Like it's it's a bit different to the comic book. So if you've read the if you've read the book, it's a you know there's something new for you. Cool. And um, they flesh out a lot of stuff. It hits a lot of the same beats, but um, mm. it goes. It, it's a lot more interesting than say like Robert Kirkman's other you know Walking Dead. Yeah. Like, I yeah, hated yeah, that yeah. show. I thought it was so dull. <laughs> the show's so boring. <laughs> and uh, the, the this TV show, this animated series, is actually really good. And the animation is is not bad actually. It's a lot better than like the more recent DC stuff. Oh, that's good. That they've been pumping out, like that. Uh, like my favorite comic book of all time is The Long Halloween. Mm-hmm. And I was so pumped when I found out they were doing like an animated uh, version of it. And I thought, oh, it's going to look like, you know, Bruce Tim meets Tim Sale. It's going to look awesome. This yeah. kind of like, you know, golden agey kind of retro kind of looking animated series, like film. No, they've set it in like a modern day setting and it just looks, the, the animation looks like shit flash. And I was just so disappointed. And whenever I read like the YouTube comments, people go, oh, it looks amazing. It looks fantastic. And I was like, what what is what are people on? What, what? <laughs> I understand why they've done it this way because Tim Sale's artwork is, you know, it differs from panel to panel. It's not consistent. Sure. I'm sure they could have found a middle ground with that, but yeah, I don't get that. the The whole I find the idea of adapting comic book stories really difficult um, because it's it suggests that there's only one important part of a comic book, and that's the story. Mm. Um, yeah, and not even like the dialogue because they don't tend to copy dialogues that's not how you couldn't tell a story in cinema the way dialogue is written in comics it's not the same well i mean they they did they did year one shot for shot word for word and it didn't quite work no i mean it looks like year one yeah but it didn't work because it was too narration heavy with yeah yeah stuff and yeah exactly it was brian cranston though which was fun but uh, but yeah i just find it weird how you'd adapt something and not try and adapt its visual style as well because that is whole part of it. That's a massive part of why like comics work is because they're the marriage of art and like story. Yeah, it's not just it's one like or they, the other. So like they did Killing Joke, and that looked appalling. <laughs> and someone actually did a fan edit where they took the trailer and redrew over it, but did it in the comic book colors. Yeah, like, you know the old, the eighties printed version, which apparently Brian oh, yeah. Bowen hated. And then he recolored it, and it just looked the most dull, boring thing <laughs> yes, ever. Like, you totally took, you took all the heart out of like anything that was cool about that. Book. All the texture. Uh, it was like, yeah, yeah, just zapped it out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, it's worth a watch. I'm only four episodes in. There's like eight, but they're like forty-five minutes long each. Okay, eight is. And a, I think I honestly think you. I think you. I think you'll enjoy it. I'll give it a go. Um, uh, film-wise, though, I. Uh, I was on the old Amazon Prime flipping through and the first film that popped up is one that I've always been meaning to watch and it's Do- Drop Dead Gorgeous, which... Oh, I love Drop Dead Gorgeous. I was, and you know what? So if anyone hasn't seen it, it came out, what, 1999 and it's directed by a guy called Michael Patrick Jan who was in like this comedic troupe called The State. Yeah, yeah. Like MTV show, which I think um, Michael Ian Black from Ed was on it, I think. Yeah, I think so. loads of other people. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. It's like a, it's kind of like a lot of those like late nineties kind of yeah. dark satirical kind of comedies. So you've kind yeah, of got yeah, like yeah. Uh, election, which we already covered. Yeah. 
Uh, what's that the one? I'm a cheerleader. Oh, but um, I'm a cheerleader. I watched But I'm a cheerleader yesterday. Uh, did you? <laughs> yeah, that's really funny. <laughs> um, Sugar and Spice. I guess Pleasantville. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that works. Bit. And then earlier films like Heather's. He- yeah, definitely but, um, Heather's. But you know, then you got kind of Mean Girls plays off that, and you also kind of. Oh I yeah, think, definitely. Um, yeah. The Sandra Bullock film as well is a lot like Drop Dead Gorgeous. Um, what, practical Magic. Yes, Practical Magic. No, like, what's the uh, the one when she Miss Congeniality? Like, oh yeah, yeah. plays into the yeah, same yeah. themes. Like, Drop Dead Gorgeous is amazing because it wasn't available for ages, so it's so cool that it's on Amazon because it was only available as a VHS for like forever. Oh really? Yeah, it didn't get like a DVD proper DVD release for ages, and then when it did, it got out of print as well. So it's actually been kind of missing really so it's quite cool that it's on amazon so if anyone hasn't seen it it's kind of basically about like a is it minnesota it's yeah, like a it's minnesota, minnesota yeah. kind of like a beauty pageant for like 17 17 teen or something like that sure and um it's got it's got a really good cast it's got kirsten dunce yeah. denise richard amy adams when I, like when amy adams popped up i was like who is that <laughs> and then it clicked i was like fucking hell it's amy adams uh, Brittany Murphy. Brittany Murphy's like, because obviously, you know, it's sad that she died like, what, 10 years ago? Sure. Yeah. But like her earlier films, she's kind of unrecognizable to the Brittany Murphy she became a bit yeah. later on. Yeah. And I think it's probably just because she became blonde and I'm completely dense. But, <laughs> so that was enough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you got Kirsty Alley, who Kirstie Alley, I, yeah. I like. I mean, she's insane in real life, but um, she's good in <laughs> She's this. great in it. She is great in it. Yeah. Um, uh, Ellen. Barkin and Alison Janney. Alison Janney really is cast. so good. Yeah. I love Alison Janney in that film. Uh, it's also Brit- uh, Mindy Sterling's in it, so you got a lot of those kind of. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like like Chicago kind of. Um, I can't remember the Groundlings. I think. Sorry, not Chicago, but the Groundlings. Was she Frau Farbissen or whatever in? Um, yes. <laughs> in, in Austin Powers. Austin Powers. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember. I can't even remember her name. <laughs> It kind of reminded me a bit like a, it was kind of like a watered down John Waters film. Yes, kind of. Yeah, it massively is. And yeah, it, yeah. And it's it's definitely like aping like Christopher Guest movies. I think. Yeah, yeah. Definitely yeah, like yeah. you know, waiting for Guffman and then Best of Show. And Best all of Show, yeah. But um, I don't think I wasn't completely convinced by the the documentary style of it. I think it was a bit lacking. But I don't think they were really that bothered about being strictly. <laughs> documentary do you know what I mean because it was you know it's a fa- it's farcical it's satirical and that, know, I don't that, think there were that bit in the film where I can't remember the actor's name um, and he's portraying a character which is not a good character it's like the um, mentally disabled one I've got notes here saying you know I don't know if it would fly today because you've got it's... You, it mocks eating disorders and it mocks <laughs> mentally challenged people it's a bit like something about Mary yeah it's know. a 21 year old film and it feels like it but I think yeah. like and if you um, if, if you didn't grow up with it like I had it on VHS I watched it a lot I so I've got a lot of like love for that but I think if you came to it completely blind now especially if like you weren't young in the 90s I think you wouldn't mm. like it I just you know I wouldn't blame you you know like be perfectly fine <laughs> is it the other there's a bit in the documentary style when the guy gets trapped in the car door and they keep coming back to him <laughs> Yeah, and, and it, it says we cannot, no, we can't. as documentarians, we can't interact yeah. or whatever. He gets like robbed. Subject. Yeah. It's so funny. I mean, I showed <laughs> it to some people recently, actually, because I managed to get a copy of it. So, um, oh yeah, I'm a really big fan of that film. I really do like it. 
But then the only other film I watched, because all the other films I watched were related to the, the main topic, so that was all about 25 films that kind of relate <laughs> to that film. But, um, I uh, watched, obviously, Brandon picked for me You Only Live Twice to watch uh, yeah. out of my big Blu-ray list, which is uh, from 1967, directed by Lewis Gilbert, and obviously, you know, it's a Bond film. Lewis Gilbert was one of the big Bond directors, wasn't he, if I'm right? Yeah, I think he did quite a lot. I think so, yeah. This was... Um, it's quite a simple plot, really. Basically, it starts off with uh, a spacecraft in outer space, and then all of a sudden this giant tremor-looking spacecraft comes behind it, and it opens up and kind of gobbles it up. And it's an American ship, and it just gobbles it up. And then there's a big <laughs> row between Russia and America, like saying Russia's saying uh, America's saying that Russia did it, stuff like that. And then later on, Russia are also launching their own space program, that gets gobbled up and then America <laughs> decides to do it again for, for reasons why they'll do it when they know that <laughs> this thing's out there in outer space gobbling up spaceships I don't know and then Bond's sent out on a mission to discover who's really behind all this because Britain don't believe that either party are behind it right. and they find out it's some sort of a Chinese uh, thing that are kind of basically trying to stir up shit between the USA and Russia so they'll go to war together and um but yeah, it's okay. It's typical Bond f- fair, really. It's got a great score by John Barry. Yeah, um, yeah. And I, to be honest, I haven't really watched any films with Roger Moore as Bond, but I actually really enjoyed him as Bond. He's he's actually, you know, surprise, hot take. Sean Connery. He's pretty Bond. good. <laughs> yeah. So who did I say? Sorry. Roger Moore. Just so say Roger Moore. What an idiot. <laughs> hot take. Sean Connery is very good as Bond. Yeah. Yeah, um, absolutely. He really was, wasn't he? <laughs> Like because, um, and he knows how to wear a suit. He does. He does. He absolutely does. He has all the aspects of what makes Bond kind of work for me, especially in the sixties. And the kind of like he's an asshole. You know, he's an asshole who hates women. <laughs> like, and he gets all in there. In and this film, he all... has four female partners. Okay. He has one at the beginning <laughs> who kind of lures him into a trap because the part of the plot is that they have him killed off essentially and at the beginning like oh no bond's dead okay and then you see him like getting thrown into the water like you know proper because he's a uh he's naval commander isn't he so they kind of bury him at sea okay and as the <laughs> as his like casket or whatever crashes to the floor these like uh divers go and collect it and they pull him onto the ship <laughs> you know they unlike ravel the He's almost wrapped up like a mummy, almost like in a bag or whatever. <laughs> and when they open it up, he just comes out all dressed up in his like naval gear with all his badges and stuff. <laughs> he just walks straight into M's office, who's on a submarine and with Miss Money Penny, like, okay. <laughs> and then it kind of goes into like you were saying before, like it's a bit like a travel log. So right. you kind of hit all the, you know, it's almost like here, look at this lovely apartment, look at yes. this lovely place, and here, look, we do sumo wrestling here, and you know, he he yeah. goes to meet someone at a sumo wrestling place just to get a code, and the code is "I love you." So there's <laughs> loads of awkward moments of where Bond has to say "I love you" to men. It's like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what else is there? So, um, Bert Quark's in that, isn't he? Did you see? Bert yes, Cosby? he is. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, I was thinking, ah, oh, it's the guy who was on uh, the Harry Hill show, and um, yes. I think he ended up in uh, Last, Last of the Summer Wives. Well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, there's a great bit where he's kind of got like Q comes to meet him in uh, Tokyo, and they built like 
in a, he's got like th- four briefcases, and when they open them up, or he's got like, all of his like little helpers are with him, and they're all wearing these tiny shorts and massive socks. <laughs> so bizarre. Yeah, I can picture <laughs> it. Yeah. Us, okay. They start assembling this little plane for him. It's this little microplane that's got rocket launchers, missiles, flamethrowers, <laughs> and on the dashboard. Everything's labelled with those, like, is it Dymo Gun or whatever, you know, with those oh, things we click? yeah, when it clicks and it makes it embossed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you just stick it on. <laughs> oh, once in Qatar, we got one of those from a like, stationery store, and I can't remember where we got it, but someone was asking for it. And I gar- in, like, a week, this person had gone round and labelled everything in the fucking office with this fucking, <laughs> like, like, embossed thing. It was like that Simpsons episode where they go to Ned's, like, Ned's holiday cottage. And there's like post-it notes and every <laughs> single thing. <laughs> yeah, people do go nuts with those things. Uh, but the scene's awesome, though. Like, there's a load of great like aerial photography with that, and um, then it cuts to some really cool like model work where you know you can see the wires where everything's shooting off and stuff like that. Yeah, cool. And really bad chroma key with Bond, like with bits of him disappearing in the green screen or blue <laughs> sure. screen or whatever it is. Um, oh, there's a great bit where um, Bond drink sake for the first time ah oh, no way and then he ex- and then he explains he goes mm, yes it's very good it's per- served at the perfect temperature eight <laughs> you know? yes. and it's like if you're like, going to have sake whenever you're around asian people this is not to ask for <laughs> like and like education as it was as the film was going on i was thinking oh it's doing pretty well on the light racism scale you know there's a little bit there's a bit where he talks to a chinese girl and he goes mm, why do you chinese girls taste so different <laughs> oh, <God>. it's like <laughs> And he goes, it's like having Peking duck and Russian caviar. It's like, what are you on about? But anyway, I thought, oh, it's not doing too bad. And then they pull this on it. They turn Bond Japanese. Oh. <laughs> There's a whole sequence where he's lying on a table and they're putting like slits on his eyelids. And oh, no. They give him this. They give him a Lloyd Christmas kind of wig, and he looks a bit like <laughs> Spock as well, like a like a bastard child of Lloyd Christmas and Spock. Oh God. And. And it serves no purpose because basically all they're trying to do is they they kind of disguise him as a, a Japanese fisherman, right? Okay. And all he, all he does is he sails off in it's a one minute sequence. There's no like <laughs> bit where people like question him or like go, Ooh. and you know he has to train to be a ninja as well because he's at this ninja school. And um, sorry, I'm going to go off on one. There's a lot in this film. <laughs> <laughs> um, He's at this ninja school, but he has like, like probably a thirty-second training sequence. That's it. Uh-huh. Um, what else? Oh yeah, he's almost. So there's the woman at the beginning that you know he's with when he's almost murdered. There's like a a white redheaded lady that kind of captures him and takes him up. In, oh, he has sex with her as well, and takes <laughs> her up into a, him up into a plane to to blow him up in the plane, and then to 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 kind of stop him to kind of halt him in his tracks in this plane she she presses a button and this piece of wood goes across his arms to kind of stop him from lifting lifting his arms up where this piece of wood comes from i don't know cuz it's <laughs> the tiniest plane and it shoots from one side to the other which means this piece of wood would have been sticking outside of the plane i don't quite understand that. but anyway he he somehow judo chops it free and so he can control the plane <laughs> Course he did, uh, then think. he's when he's when he's at the ninja camp when he's like you know made up to be um to be uh japanese he, he's taken a liken to this uh japanese woman who's been like taken around tokyo and that earlier on in the film and you know he has sex with her obviously because he's bond and 
someone tries to kill him and they, they do this thing where they put threads like going down from the rafters and then they drop like a poison from it so it drips down into his mouth. Okay, elaborate. It's, does it in gross point blank, which I'm guessing they got it from that. Yeah, I think so. And um, <laughs> Well, the opposite way around, sorry. And obviously, you know, Bond rolls over just as the poison's about to drip, but the woman in bed with him rolls over just in time for it to catch her lip and, you know, she dies straight away. And oh. Bond really doesn't give a shit that she's dead. <laughs> like, that, that must have been really tragic for Bond to have a woman die <laughs> he around gave, him. <laughs> he gave zero fucks. He was more <laughs> interested in catching this ninja and just shoots him dead in the rafters. Um, then he's... Oh, he's given a... Because he's now Japanese, he's given a Japanese wife and he has this kind of fake ceremony. Oh, God. And... Um, this woman, I feel sorry for her because she's kind of, for the whole duration of the film, she's probably in it from the midway point. She's just wearing the Ursula, and is it Ursula Andress? Okay. You know, the one from the very Doctor No. Doctor no All yeah. she's wearing is bra and pants through the whole film. <laughs> and I felt so bad for her. Because you just know she's wearing that for like, you know, 24 hours a day, <laughs> however long these shoots yeah. take for weeks and stuff. I always think about that when people are in really uncomfortable clothing. So, yeah, so basically they're trying to find out where this secret lair is that um, obviously we don't know at this point, but Blo- it's Blofeld's lair. Yeah. And uh, they f- they find it like it's hidden under a volcanic crater because that's why he's in this um, this the little yellow helicopter because he's trying to find where the entrance to this lair is. But they couldn't find it because they think it's just volcanoes. But really, it's like a fake floor. You know, like it's like the base <laughs> of a volcano, but it, it's tin and it moves across. Um I'm going to edit this down because I'm just rambling. <laughs> so I found this film fascinating. I just like the idea of a fake floor in a, in a volcano. <laughs> but it's, um, the lair is awesome though. It's this massive set and um, you know it's got it's so big it's kind of got a monorail that goes all the way around it so yeah, characters are like hopping on it. It's the famous set. It's stuff. like um, it's like the, the Simpsons episode again. <laughs> With- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The one when everyone's wearing like jumpsuits and it's score is it Scorpio? Yeah, they're all red and blue. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's if you're going to parody like a Bond base, it's this one. Yeah. Oh yeah, hundred um, percent. What else have I got? Um, oh yeah, there's you've got piranhas in it. Lots of piranha deaths. Oh, that's like, good. People falling into like lots. There's lots of like um, fake floors. You know, when you press a button and then the floor opens. <laughs> up. There's loads of that going on. Tons of that. Um, yeah. Um, You've got Nancy Nancy Sinatra doing the theme song, which is pretty good. Oh. But, which one's um, that one? Yeah. You're going to tell it's, me it's called You Only well, Live Twice. You <laughs> Only Live Twice. I don't know Bond songs. I don't know Bond that well. I, I, you give me half memories of stuff I half remember. Like, I'm not going to say it's a good film, but it is definitely entertaining. There's not enough Blofeld in the film. Right. I think like he appears he appears at the very last minute. and you, I mean, you see him throughout, like, but just his arm and a bit of yeah. the cat. A bit like, you know, the thing from Inspector Gadget, you know, uh, what's his name? The Claw. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um... Blofeld's a weird one because, like, I, I can't remember when he first appeared. I think it's I think it's Russia with Love, which is quite good, which is the second one. I think that's when Blofeld first appears. And I'm not sure if he's in the others. I can't remember in Goldfinger. I don't think I've ever seen Thunderball. And then You Only Live Twice is the one you've watched. So the one after that is on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Which, yeah, yeah. Um, that's quite heavily Blofeld, if I remember correctly. Um, is he a different actor portraying Blofeld? Or is the same guy? I can't remember. I I don't. I feel like they got a different actor every single time he comes on screen. But I might be completely wrong with that. I don't know enough about Bond. Because I have 
I have a feeling there's another Blofeld that looks nothing like the, you yeah. know, the Doctor Evil looking one. The yeah, 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 there the... absolutely is. Absolutely yeah. is. And the thing is about after after you only live twice, sorry, after you um on a Magic Secret Service is... You got Diamonds Are Forever. You got Diamonds Are Forever, which is the one that's there's weird contracty stuff and Blofeld is um under this weird contract basically and they're doing like because you never say never again came out and they're threatening to do casino royal so you get all these arguments and shit and the beginning of diamond of forever is when they kill blofeld on screen in the most ridiculous scene that you've ever seen in your life like you <laughs> it they basically bonds in a tiny little helicopter and picks up blofeld in a wheelchair and drops him down a chimney like it's it's fucking oh. ridiculous <laughs> and they only did that because of like that would cut um, you know, cut their competitors off at the legs like using Blofeld. So, and then I'm not sure Blofeld even appears during more. And um, it might even be that Blofeld doesn't even appear until Spectre or something. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think he's. I think he's in the new film as well, isn't he? I think. Yeah, oh, he might be in the new film as well. I don't know. Yeah. Spectre was a pile of shit. I have to say. But... Ah, I see. Uh, but yeah, I think it was pretty good. I mean, there's some good gadgets in it. You've got uh, like cigarette missiles as well good stuff <laughs> good stuff but yeah that's all i've watched that's fun so are you picking next for next week no you're picking for uh, next week oh yeah good point so you've got between uh numbers one to 170 hang on 172 well everyone's been picking quite high at the moment for you they have so i'm gonna pick number four right at the right at the start Oh no! <laughs> Three hundred rise of an empire. Ugh. Ugh. Why yeah. do you own that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'll give it a watch. I didn't hate the first one, but I haven't seen it in. When did it come out? What fourteen years ago? So I haven't seen it since then. I am not a fan of Three Hundred. I really am not. I, I even forgot. <laughs> I thought it was okay. I even forgot it had a sequel. <laughs> <laughs> Directed by No Mamuro. Hmm. What's else? Who's he? Did he do the the Metallica film? No. It's not as like far it. as he, what I can see, he's done is he did a film called Smart People in two thousand eight. He then yeah. did a film called Three Hundred Rise of Empire, and then he yeah. did two hundred. And in twenty eighteen, he did Watership Down TV miniseries. Oh, okay. And that's it. So, have fun with that one. <laughs> Well, you've all got that review to look forward to next week. <laughs> so what have you been watching? Uh, yeah, I've been watching quite a few things as well. I'll, I'll, I'll go quickly through them. On my uh, kind of Spike Lee watching, I watched um, School Days and Da Sweet Blood of Jesus. Um, both of them didn't really vibe with me, I have to say. Uh, da Sweet Blood of is Jesus. School Days one of his really early ones? Yeah, it's his second film. So she's got to have it School yeah. Days and then do the right thing. Um, I just don't really like college films, if I'm very honest. And I, it, like, so I just don't, we didn't really like it that much. Even though it's really nice to see like an incredibly young, uh, 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 Gus Fring from Breaking Bad. These names are out of my head. Oh. <laughs> um, so when you say college film, do you mean like a teen comedy kind of thing? Yeah, just generally films set in college, if I'm very honest. But the most they always tend. This is definitely a comedy, and it's definitely like. It's it's a comedy in like a Spike Lee way, even though he's not totally sure if it wants to be a musical or not. There's like musical sequences all the way through it, and it's it's just didn't really kind of vibe with the kind of 
I don't like frat films. I don't care about frats. I don't think they're important. I don't like. I just don't care. <laughs> so for films, see, I don't like. like f- Go on. I don't like frat films, but I like kind of teen comedy. So like I Three O'clock High and stuff like that, and you know the John Hughes films. I like those kinds of things. Yeah, I guess when I say college films, I kind of mean like frat elements. It's American college films always seem to be how the importance of frats or how terrible they are and stuff and it's like well, well yeah like they're fucking terrible animal house and all that kind yeah, of stuff yeah yeah and well i also watched higher learning the other day which is john singleton film oh, yeah. college film so like both I, I higher learning and kind of school days were quite similar for me in a lot of ways um and i just don't i always remember the poster for higher learning was that was it like red yes. with the kind of like symbols yeah, yeah it is yeah it's um it's a bit of a flawed film High learning. I won't <laughs> have to say that reminds. Like there was a video shop which I ended up working at, and uh, when we were teenagers at uh, school, we'd always go up there because you'd kind of get they'd get like the posters to put on the windows, and they'd give them out oh, yeah. to the students, like just to get rid of them. And for some reason, the higher learning poster was a very uh, sought after poster amongst all of our friends. And it was like <laughs> a trading thing, so you think people trade it for various different things. Why that <laughs> film? I have no That's idea. That's crazy. I wonder if anyone actually saw the film. Oh, no, none of us probably did. There was t- yeah. The 12 Monkeys was a big poster between us all as well. That's quite similar to and, the uh, uh, higher learning one. Yeah, Red and uh, Braveheart. And Clockers was another one as well. That was another Red poster as well. <laughs> Clockers is a good poster. I would have gone for the Clockers poster. Yeah. That's a very like kind of posty hang up at your, your room in kind of college, I think. I 100% had so many posters of, of films that I'd never watched. I probably still haven't watched. <laughs> <laughs> um... Yeah, and I watched Das Sweet Blood of Jesus from 2014, which was a Spike Lee Kickstarter film, which I thought was quite interesting. And I, I know James mentioned it really? before because it was a remake of Ganja and Hess, uh, a weird vampire film ah. from the 70s. Um, it's, a, it can't say it totally works. Um, it's a bit fucking mad. Uh, like, it's just a bit off kilter. You kind of watch it going, what? Why is, one, what is going on? And what two, what are you trying to do with this? Um, but and, seems, and it's still a vampire film. Yeah, it's a definite, definite vampire film. I don't, I don't, not totally sure they've used the word vampire in it. Um, and it's two very sexy vampire people having lots of sex is most of the film. Um, it's, I didn't hate it, but I couldn't give it more than like two and a half stars. Like, you know what I mean? It's, it's, yeah, it's just it, it was there, and it's very weird watching Spike Lee do something so cheap. Like, it really is just like a cheap Kickstarter what? film. So what did they get on that? Do you know what the budget was? Or I don't know actually. No, I can quickly look it up though. I think he. Do you made... think that's just him and he's like experimentally? He's just experimenting with different methods and means of making. Yeah, films different. I, I think he likes trying to work outside the studio system a bit. At one point four million yeah. was the budget, so quite good. But I mean, tiny for a Hollywood film, but it's still quite good for Kickstarter. I wonder I th- what he's got on the cards next. I wonder what he's got on the cards next. He funded a few films for Kickstarter, if I'm right. I think he funded um, uh, Sweet Blood of Jesus, Chirac, and maybe yeah, Sweet Blood of Jesus, Chirac, Chirac one as well. I think they were. Right? I think they were both Kickstarter films. I think basically, if I'm right, because um, he did Red Hook Summer for an incredibly cheap film, which I can't find Red Hook Summer anywhere. Like, um, and then he did Old Boy, and Old Boy. Um, was a failure and it was also really fucked with by the studios like he really didn't uh, he hated what the studios did to it and he blames the studios for like ruining it basically so i think release because of that, the leaker <laughs> release the leaker yeah uh so because of that i think he just 
just dropped out of kind of studio filmmaking for a while. So Old Boy was like 2013, and it, it wasn't really until 2018 when he when he did um, focus feature film and the other and well you never. Just say you never know. You might see like the actual version he wanted to make of that. With all these different cuts of coming out of films, now you've got a new Rocky coming out, Rocky Four oh, version yeah. coming out. You've, that you've is got not new, needed by anyone. I have to say. Well, <laughs> you've got you know the new cut of Godfather Three. You've got um, yeah, yeah. Isn't there a final cut of um, Apocalypse Now? So that's like the third cut of that. Yeah, so yeah. nothing's you know the Snyder cut recently. So it's not without the realms of possibility. Not without precedence these at all. Are, yeah. Absolutely. You know, might eventually get to see their films released as intended. So that'd be interesting. It'd be interesting. I think I'm not surprised that, like, kind of, he didn't work with studios really until, I mean, he worked with Amazon and now he's worked with Netflix. I think he's not surprising that he's the person working for those streaming features. Well, I think they pretty much, like, do what you want. (laughs) Yeah, basically, yeah. Like, you're fucking Spike Lee, just make whatever you want to make. I think is the best way to do it, like... Um, yeah, cool. I'm enjoying my Spike Lee watches. He's a really interesting filmmaker, and they even like. I think uh, Roger Ebert said this about Werner. Like, even his failures yeah, are interesting. Right. I I fucking said that in my head about three times before saying that. that then. <laughs> yeah, he said it about Werner that, he, that nothing he does is boring, and nothing he, even his failures mm. are spectacular. I think Spike Lee's the same. I don't think anything he does is boring. I don't think anything he does is like really, really just like turn offable. But you know, yeah, he's not phoning it in. I just will miss the mark. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, though. Um, Miracle of Saint Anna is the one I've been told is really not good, um, and so I'll see when I get to it. Really, uh, what else did cool. I watch? Uh, two other quick films. Uh, I watched the Player Robert Altman film, but nineteen ninety two with Tim Robbins in it. Oh yeah, it's fucking awesome. <laughs> it's such an awesome okay. film. Like I, I really didn't know what to expect from it at all, and I was absolutely just just locked in. Um, it's about like a Hollywood studio executive who's being sent death threats uh, from a writer because he's rejected his script. He doesn't know which writer it is, and it all kinds of sends him sends him mad. Basically, it's um, a complete just like pastiche on on uh, like Hollywood studio system and and filmmaking, and it's all like meta and and folded into itself and. Um, Whoopi Goldberg plays the best detective in any... Like, Whoopi Goldberg needs to solve more crimes in films. She's fucking awesome in The Player. Um, is I just, this like Tim Robbins' kind of Hudsucker proxy era? Yeah, totally, it is, yes. Yeah. So I love that era of Tim Robbins. Yeah, I think yeah. you'd really like The Player. I'd really recommend it. Like, I, I, well, Robert Altman's definite blind spot for me. Yeah, he's a huge kind of blind get. spot for me. Like, outside yeah. of like the long goodbye rules, I hate MASH. <laughs> like, but, um... Yeah. Um... Brewster McLeod is a weird fucking <laughs> item of a film. And yeah, Popeye, which I adored as a kid. I lo- I watched Popeye so much as a kid. But um but I can't say it's good. It's just, I just adored this weird like film. Like um outside of that I really don't know him very well at all. So I think Robert Altman might be a guy I'm getting trying to kind of explore a bit more really and get to know a bit better. So that might be quite cool. It's kind of funny that we out. didn't do one of his films for the seventies, really. So now, like, but there's so many people you can't cover, isn't there? Oh yeah. And uh, the other one I watched is again a film I think you'll love. Um, Alita Battle, Battle Angel, uh, Robert Rodriguez. I do want to watch this. I do. I I am actually interested in watching this. I think it ruled. I really think it ruled. Really? Yeah, I really had a good time with it. And um, I think Robert Rodriguez knows exactly what he's doing when making these type of films. And I love these like big. I think it's film critic Patrick Willem 
said this about these films. He calls them kind of gonzo sci-fi. So, you know, when you're creating these big, loud worlds, lots of colour, lots of, like, you know, bombastic settings that you have to kind of fold into the storytelling. Um, so stuff like, you know, Fifth Element, um, uh, like Elite Battle Angel, uh, perhaps stuff like uh, Mortal Engines and things like that. Uh, these mm-hmm. these kind of standalone-ish, or, or at least not kind of... Or, or Jupiter Ascending, or whatever it's called again, as well. Like There's these big kind of sci-fi kind of, like, films that um, are, maybe are from properties that exist, but aren't, like, from household properties, really. Um, and they oh, just kind of, kind of, kind of sell these kind of, like, weird futuristic robot-y elements and and stuff. I, I love that stuff. I really, really love it. And I thought Elite Battle Angel did it really well. There's a lot of issues. I mean, it's from a manga. There are no Japanese main characters in it, or actors, I should say. Right. Uh, and I think that what really hurt. Isn't the character CGI? Isn't she like a yeah, CGI or is she mo-capped or something? I think she's, she's massively mo-capped. They're kind of like, they've really heightened her eyes to give that manga effect and to make her look really alien and robotic, really. I think it works quite but well. She's actually. not Japanese or anything. She's no, no. She's played by. Are they what? In, in its defense, and Robert Rodriguez says this. Um, <clears throat> The, because it came out of the wake of kind of the Ghost in the Shell remake with um, uh, what's her name, Scarlett Johansson doing the lead, and yeah, that was very much whitewashing because it's a you know it's a manga that's set in Japan. Didn't they alter her eyes as well in that? Didn't they kind of like that might be true. Of... I can't remember. Um, but yeah, Elite Battle Angel, to its credit, isn't set in Japan. It's set in America. Um, okay. So to that credit, there's. You know, there's differences in what the cast would be. Uh, Robert Rodriguez actually moves the setting to South America. Uh, I think I don't know exactly where, but it's definitely not North America it's set in. And uh, the cast is very diverse for that setting as well. It's just definitely needed one of the three main characters, or like four main characters, to be Asian. It just needed that, you know, like it needed that kind of inclusion, especially because like some of the characters' names. But like Robert Rodriguez, for me, he's just an absolute legend and I'm, I'm not going to say all of his films are amazing because yeah. they're not that you know be a lie but he's a proper champion yeah for like, yeah just for, like the way he makes films like he's especially when you're a young filmmaker and you're kind yeah. of he's like he did these like extras on all of his dvds they were like 10 they're called 10 minute film school and you got more oh, out yeah. of these 10 minute film schools than you did from like these massive making ofs or whatever because they were just so packed full of information and stuff that you kind of latched onto as like a a budding filmmaker and yeah. he had this book as well um I forgot my name I've got it on my shelf and I can't remember what the fuck it's called uh Rebel Without a Crew and you know how you know how he mailed out made El Mariachi on like mm. what is it an eight thousand dollar budget <laughs> I think he even recently did a film called like Red Something and it's got like a budget of like seven thousand dollars just to prove that he can still do it he Red Eleven yeah yeah it's yeah I would really recommend it. I had a really good time with it, honestly. Like, and um, I think you'd really, really like it too. And that uh, there's so much limb pulling in this. <laughs> like, there's so many Is limbs a- come off in this film, which <laughs> is quite satisfying, really. And uh, Christoph Waltz was awesome in it as well. Yeah, that's kind of me, really. So, speaking of uh, films set in South America with diverse casts, <laughs> what are we talking about today, then? Luke? Yeah, we're going. 
we're going right into the fucking hell hell on earth of this film with, with we're going full tilt Herzog full tilt, full tilt Herzog. <laughs> like, uh, and yeah we're we're covering his 1981 film that's not true we're covering <laughs> his 1982 film Fitzcarraldo Fitzcarraldo Klaus Kinski und Claudia Cardinale der Film von Werner Herzog Erleben Sie die Geschichte eines besessenen Träumers, der mitten im tiefsten Urwald des Amazonas von Caruso und Großer Oper träumt und dafür das Unmögliche wagt. Yes, so Fitzcarraldo came out in 1982. Uh, it is the story of a man who wants to build an opera house in his Peruvian city, town. And to do that, he has to kind of make billions from the rubber industry. And he, to do that, he tries to drag a ship over a mountain. That's the story of this film. And that does <laughs> like, surprisingly, it's not like an overly complex plot. It's quite a lengthy film. It's a it's a very lengthy film. It's a very indulgent film with that length. I have to say, I was watching it going, you, you could find you could find cuts in this. But in, <laughs> like, saying that, I was never bored. No, no, I wasn't. I had to. I did take a break, uh, but only because right. of like logistical more than anything else. Like, got you. I need to get some stuff done and not just watch. Um, uh, Klaus Kinski loses his mind <laughs> for like <laughs> two hours, 40 minutes. Like. But yeah, um, the thing with this film, I, I don't know where to start. It's like the plot and the film itself isn't even the kind of extent of what this is as like a cultural kind of legacy. It's it's um, It speaks to so much about the nature of filmmaking i don't know like it speaks to so much about like who verna is and why he's like a household name and like and what it like this obsession of filmmaking on what people consider as important you know um mm. and i might I'll, I'll say at the top I don't think anything justifies making this film. <laughs> like what they no, did. No, all the shit they <laughs> like, went through, all the things that happened does not justify the the end product in the slightest. No, and I don't think it ever could. This is what my my like like kind of I guess separation from Werner might be. Like it's like it's you just watching it going, it's just a film. <laughs> in the yeah, end of the day. He, 
There's an amazing quote from Herzog himself where he calls himself the conquistador of the useless. Yes, yes. Like saying that no one would ever ever think of hauling a mount, uh, boat up a mountain and would never ever do it ever again. It's like, like the most pointless endeavour, especially in the film. Like You could have faked that and it would have looked exactly the same. <laughs> there was no need for that in the slightest. But in saying that, if he didn't do that, you wouldn't have got these amazing stories. Yeah, but yeah, then again, exactly. but then again, people wouldn't have lost limbs, lost their lives. Yeah, <laughs> um, I know. It's it, and just a huge part of the jungle was torn up for this. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Like the ecological disaster of this film, I think, is not fair. Right. Like, is not right. Like, if anybody wants to watch this film, you kind of you have to watch the two documentaries that go alongside of I it. Agree. So it's Burden of Dreams, and what's yeah. the other one? My, but, is it my fret? Was it? My best my fiend, my, my best, best fiend. fiend. So yeah, so I got Burden of Dreams was actually shot by Les Blanc, who did quite worked with um. He mainly did documentaries about musicians, really, kind of like folk musicians in America. Uh, and but he worked with Werner quite a few times on um little documentaries and stuff like that. He might have shot the one. Have you seen Werner Herzog eats a shoe? Have you seen that? Yeah, yeah, I've seen. That, I think yeah. Les Blanc made that. Like that's the kind of like his kind of like work with Werner. If anyone hasn't seen that, it's basically uh is it Heaven's um Heaven's Gate? Oh yeah, it is, isn't that it? Errol Morris he he said if Errol Morris ever finishes making Heaven's Gate, I'll eat my shoe. <laughs> Obviously he finished making that film, so Werner Herzog ate his shoe. Ate his shoe. That's the this is the guy that we're talking about this today. Is, well, one this of the guys. Who we're trying to unravel. <laughs> Um, yeah, and then so he was invited to come shoot a documentary whilst um, making Fitz, uh, Fitzcarraldo because, in fairness, Fitzcarraldo was being made for, I think, four years. It might be longer. Um, and that's not just from conception. That is literally from trying to shoot it, from being on set, being on site. Like, that's how long it took them to shoot this film, which almost, I think, killed everyone involved <laughs> in trying to make this well, yeah, the Verna. documentary starts in 79 or 78. Yeah, 78, 79, yeah. And I can't remember the reason why the production failed the first time. Oh, I do. It's mad. But you but you see them on the camp, don't you, and yeah. stuff like that. And um, Well, basically, they're entering a situation which, I mean, okay, in the 1700s, Europe invades <laughs> like South America. <laughs> no, no. Um, like, so, yeah, they're basically in 1978, Peru and Ecuador are building up to a huge war. Um, uh, between back borders and trapped in this war like always all the native people that live around this population the native the native americans that live here are called um agurana agurana i think um and they're really scared of like these people coming in to work in these areas because when people come in from the west they don't leave and they destroy everything <laughs> like, um so like verna goes there to convince them to let them kind of work in this area and they kind of do well at least some of them do and it starts getting these um because the whole situation is tense already like the rumors start persisting that this film crew are coming in and they're doing stuff like um destroying the landscape you know uh purposely draining the rivers that are trapping That's the it, native yeah, americans kind of, yeah. in different like areas 
uh, there's fields of like mass deaths. There's photographs about like death pits and people like oh yeah, like, they use Nazi genocide. concentration yeah. camps and they're saying and yeah, stuff like that. and they're saying this is what Werner's doing in South America that he's raping the women, killing and eating the men. That's a big part of it as well, eating their blood, and also that they're using the production to smuggle weapons in for either side. You know, both sides are saying that they're smuggling weapons to the other. Um, but as Werner Herzog is describing this in the documentary, he's doing it in his very calm. <laughs> It's very like hypnotic way of speaking. Yeah. You're thinking it feels like nothing phases this man, or nothing's like a massive issue. Yeah, like, he's like a man who hates the world so much that everything is like ennui to him. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like it's just so weird. And you're like, Werner, you shouldn't be here. Like Werner, you're causing this. <laughs> like, it's like he talks later on. Like some some guy chopped his own foot off because yeah. a venomous snake bit his leg. So this guy thought, well, the only thing i've got to do i've got yeah. a chainsaw in my hand i'll cut my leg off yeah and the way he talks about it it's it's like it's if it's just a passing he talks about it like, head. Oh. yeah like it was fate as well like this had to happen <laughs> yeah he bit him so he cut his foot off and that meant he saved his life and i'm like he cut his foot off because the anti-venom was 20 minutes away by like plane or something that's your fault, Werner. You should have yeah, anti-venom quite... with you when you're in the jungle. That isn't like... A, yeah, that's not like a big thing to say. <laughs> His quote was, it was a good decision, he lived. <laughs> <laughs> or, he could have carried anti-venom when you're going where all the snakes live. Which is like, I've worked in fucking jungles, I've worked in deserts. Like, it doesn't take much for you to go like, okay, I'll wear, like, safety boots, or yeah. <laughs> I'll, ta- I'll bring, like... <laughs> Venom with me, anti-venom with me. We did that, you know, like it's it's so fun. Like I watch it going, Werner, I know this is 1980s and maybe like, you know, maybe you didn't do a risk assessment for this. <laughs> I'm guessing you didn't. But like, like all this problem is your fault. Like all this is on you. You're doing this. This isn't happening for any other reason rather than you're shooting this film. It's not like he talks like- about stuff like it's fate, like it had to happen. <laughs> It's like he hired. I mean, obviously he had he had a different actor in the first place. It was mm. um, good old Jason name? Robards. Uh, who's, yeah, Jason Robards. Yeah, who you couldn't get further from Klinsky. Like, no, no. I wrote like, this down Robards, actually when we we're going to talk about it. But like for but, me, sorry, go on. I was going to say like Robards. If anybody's watched like Parenthood, he plays like the elder father. You know, Steve Martin's father in that. And uh, yeah, he's great in um in Jonathan Demi films as well. Like he plays yeah, yeah, Howard yeah. Hawks in Melvin and Howard. Like, and uh, so he basically he had to drop out of the film because he got um, got dysentery. <laughs> dysentery. But uh, but uh, and they replaced him with Klinsky. But anyway, I'm the scenes ahead. they the I'm scenes they shoot in this, I would say that the Robard version of this film is about a man that is driven mad by trying to do this in the jungle. And he's the, not mad already. The Klinsky <laughs> version is about a madman trying to do mad things in the jungle. I think that's the difference <laughs> in what they had going for them. Because uh, those scenes that you show is he's got a very different energy to him in those kind of early scenes. Oh yeah. The bonus, I think, of that is though, I don't think I could have dealt with Mick Jagger as his like servant, <laughs> kind of right hand man. I think that would have driven me nuts. Yeah. So yeah, Mick Jagger was also casted in this film to be like a kind of. Oh yeah. I guess they just cut the character out completely and kind of folded it into kind of the cook. And... Well, I guess they probably had to for time as well. They just thought it would just be a lot easier. Yeah. If this character's not in it because we, you know, we've shot forty five percent of this film already. <laughs> we now need to speed through it just to get back on track. So. 
it'd be easy if we just don't but, yeah, but like, him, yeah. and what yeah, I was trying to say was he had to quit because he, of the film production went on for so long he had a job like he, yeah, he, had, to go on tour. <laughs> he had to go on tour and make a record and not just sit in the Peruvian jungle for four years with Werner but like what I was saying was like you were talking about how Werner Herzog it's, all of this is his fault he hired Klinsky knowing full well who he was and what yeah, he was oh, yeah. like, and it would make life even harder for him yeah. <laughs> it's like it's just... but go back to the original production ending as well like so basically like in the middle of the night Verna Verna's hearing all this tension building up he orders half the crew to leave in the middle of the night the Arunga the the natives who to, like turn up at the camp with weapons and force them to leave in the dead of night and like burn down the camps and like and uh, like just soil the ground you know so they can't come back and it took him 13 months after that to find another shooting location for the film and I think what was stupid about this is what he says is a fucking quote from his filmmaking as well is that like he finds this city called um uh Ik Ik Ikiros, Ikiros. I don't, I, can't, I don't know how to pronounce it. I wrote it down somewhere. Ikiros, Ikitos, I think. So they shoot everything out of that in Peru, and he goes, like everyone knows this, and I know this, that we could shoot this film just down the river from this town, and it would look the same. Was this the floodwater town? Yes. Yeah, it's the town like when the whole film set. This I found this fascinating. This little town because this is where Fitzcarraldo lives. Like yeah. he's got a. Um, He's got a lady that he's courting who's kind of like, she's a madam, isn't she? She's she runs like, a uh, brothel, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Every, anyway. Everyone in this film is a bad person. <laughs> They're all just like European like, no, no, there's one person who's amazing, and I will get to him later on, <laughs> who is my favourite character in the whole film, and I wish he was in the film more. But, um, like, So he lives in like one of these little kind of shanty kind of... Yeah, risen that, from the war kind of houses. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But like I thought, this this area is amazing. It's kind of untouched by like Western society. And then in the documentary, the camera pans around and you see Coca Cola plastered sure. like one of them. And I was thinking, oh. So I think Werner thinks the same as you because Werner basically says that we could shoot this just downriver and just find a little creek that we can pull the ship over. However, I don't want to do this because I want to go into the jungle because it will make the actors like like perform better and it'll make a different kind of picture to do so like he all the decisions that's made that made this so hard to film he does on purpose throughout this like it's not it's not done because he needs to do this he's done this because he wants to do it as well and he makes it very clear in burden of dreams that he's making the decision to we have to go very far into the midst of the jungle we have to stay out there for weeks on end we have to have three boats that None of them can properly sail. Like it's um... one of them, one of those boats. They had to drive like thirty, like two thousand miles downstream, <laughs> down the Amazon, didn't they, to yeah, get to where they, they were filming? <laughs> like that's a film in itself. Just getting that from there to there because that would be insane. One of them has oh, like geez. one of them was a proper historical boat that was used for like like by the I don't know by some sort of European colonizers to. Yeah, to, to drag rubber around or something. I can't remember the story he says, but one of them is a proper like, like has its own history to itself. There is a quote right at the start of Burden of Dreams that he goes, "Um, I live my life or, or I end my life with this picture," is a quote from Werner, and it does feel like at some point he made that decision, and that was going to be it. Like there was nothing. He was going to fucking do this. He was going to make this film, and even if he died doing it and killed everyone else around him, I think. <laughs> so yeah, in 1981, 
he drags Klaus Kinski into this. Um, and Klaus Kinski is a, a madman. <laughs> That's a madman. <laughs> so, so I was watching that documentary you sent me the link to earlier, and it starts off with him on stage pretty much professing that he's Jesus. Yep. Yep. Like wh- whether or not he believes it, or if he's playing the part that much that he's like that method that he's, I I don't know which one of the two. I'm probably thinking it's the former where he actually thinks he is Jesus. Yeah. I or whatever it- he whatever he's obsessed with at that time, he believes. Yeah, Werner was saying that he'd just come off this. This was before they were shooting uh, uh, Aguera. Aguera. I can't mm-hmm. pronounce anything in today's episode. This is going to be a good one. <laughs> Agrua, the wrath of God. It's just before shooting that, and he um he went on a speaking tour, basically being Jesus or something. Um, so he was mids into this delusion. I don't know. Is it a delusion? I don't know. He might be Jesus. It could be. <laughs> um, and he had worked with Klaus a few times, hadn't he? Because they did that. Well, one. he lived with him. Like he lived with oh, him. Oh yeah, this kind yeah. Of like. Uh, like a halfway, not a halfway house, which like a kind of basically like he, like he, Fern Herzog's family were quite poor. He and his mother and his brothers, and they lived in like one room. Yeah, like Clint, Klaus Klinsky lived in another room, like locked himself in a bathroom in this <laughs> place, and like had apparently had a two day rage fit where he destroyed the whole bathroom. Yep. He would, he would stay in his closet for hours on end just practicing his lines because he was a self taught actor. Yeah, and. Uh, just oh, insane and um so they'd worked together on uh nosferatu remake in 79 and also this film i can another film i don't think i pronounced the title of wasn't uh ooh, pardon me was zek what you zek what zek maybe why is that what was yeah yeah um yeah i yeah i know which one you mean and so he'd done both of those in kind of quick succession. That was seventy nine and seventy nine again, and then well, by the time he did the Amor, is it Amorath? Amor- <laughs> terrible. That was his sixth film, and he was twenty eight. So God knows when he started making feature films. <laughs> Who knows? Um, Werner Herzog, because he was thirty seven when he started. Um, Fitzcarraldo. Yeah. I'm thirty seven, and I've done fuck all. <laughs> it just makes you think. Oh man, look. I think it's his, yeah, his sixth production. It's quite confusing with him because he, he mixes so much documentary features with like fictional short films and fictional feature films and stuff like that. So he's, I mean, he's, uh, so he's cheating. He's, he's not cheating. He's just got such a huge kind of uh, filmography that it's, it's sometimes difficult to know where to go well, with him, I guess. Like, well, just out of interest before we get into it, what was your like, introduction to um, Herzog? Uh, but two things probably what i think everyone's introduction to Herzog normally is grizzly man i think yeah. mine was as well um i've definitely but also i mean paul f tonkins kind of does the character of Werner herzog <laughs> uh, as like yeah. as a as a character and i think i know herzog so much through paul f tonkins doing doing him rather than anything else like but yeah i, I, I know i even think that's a parrot that that when he does it though it's not like a parody because it's just it's, it's just it's him dead on <laughs> It's bang on Herzog. That that bit from Burden of uh, uh, Burden 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 of Dreams. That bit from Burden of Dreams. His like monologue is what when he's saying that he thinks the birds are screaming, it's <laughs> pain, and he goes that Kinski thinks that the the jungle is erotic. Erotic, yeah. I <laughs> like, do... I think it is pain. <laughs> I don't see eroticism here. I just see like. <laughs> but then at the end of it, he's like. 
I don't just hate the jungle. I love it. It <laughs> <laughs> goes, nature here is vile and base. Of course, there's a lot That's of misery, it. but there's same misery that is all around us. The trees here are in misery. The birds are in misery. I don't think they sing here. They just screech in pain. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the, maybe the best lines put to cinema. I think Brandon said that. It's fucking amazing. <laughs> And this is just like his stream of consciousness. This is not him like like writing it down. This is just how he thinks. How he. And it's like I I know that like to see that because I know him. Cave of Forgotten Dreams was one of the I think the first time. Yeah, we saw that at the cinema, didn't we? we saw it in three D, and you're like, I can't, I can't see three D. <laughs> I can't see it that well. I think it's the only time I've seen a Herzog film in the cinema. Probably. So that's I, I saw cool. Bad Lieutenant at this. Oh, I you? saw Bad Lieutenant. Yeah. Bad Lieutenant rules. That's such a good film. It is good. <laughs> But yeah, and like the the ending of Cave of Forgotten Dreams when he's he's spending all this time with these archaeologists and and talking to them and like musing on what art meant to the people who did this art and like and really feels like he connects to the kind of the prehistoric people who did this, understanding that they're doing the same thing he does, you know, in just making stories and making stuff that you can see and using light. That's a big thing of Cave of Forgotten Dreams, using light to make mm-hmm. the image of movement on the walls, and that's like using the using the actual topography of the cave wall itself to actually and the shadows of lights of a fire actually gives the image of these things moving on the walls and actually they're, they're, these cave paintings aren't meant to be seen as static they're meant to be seen as something that moved and his revelation of this you feel in Werner and he feels like oh we're, we're doing the same thing you know we're, we're all telling stories and all telling visual movement stories and then the end of his documentary tells you about the white <laughs> crocodiles that lived out oh, the yeah, road. Oh yeah, the crocodile. He's like, what's yeah, going on? Yeah. And it's such a Werner moment to me when he's just like, these prehistoric beasts, what have they seen as the world changes around them and nature comes to tear us apart or something? <laughs> All of his films about the idea that he, like, nature is like something to be a, a, an adversary that you kind of have to conquer. And I think he mm. really sees the world like this. And, like, I disagree <laughs> like with, with this take of his in the point well, hence why he has to take this boat up a yes. mountain which was like just just because he has to he has to conquer nature nature is a vile thing that attacks you and you as a man have to beat it um be- otherwise it will beat you or something and and this and this he has like a weird idea about harmony as well he's obsessed with like what does harmony feel like in nature and he thinks harmony feels like chaos which i think he's right about that i think like mm-hmm. um but he, he he it's it troubles him that harmony is chaos in nature whereas i don't think it has to trouble you quite so much <laughs> like, but it troubles Werner. <laughs> and yeah that's what this film's about <laughs> <laughs> Do we even go, like, I mean, we should talk about Kinski as well and, and what he brought to it because, like, I think what he basically, he was all, as, as we said, like, this shooting was already a kind of, you know, a hot pot of a mess. Uh, it was, uh, there was no budget to speak of. Like, people just kept on dropping out more and more and more. So he brings Kinski into this kind of, like, I don't know how to call it like this, <laughs> this kind of furnace I guess in the middle of Peru and watching that documentary My Best Fiend it just sounds like the worst working relationship you could ever have in this thing um, he um, 
he does say that like you know they both needed each other you know he needed me as much as i needed yeah, yeah. him like um kinski says of herner herzog um derangement insol- insolence impudence brutality dim-wittedness megalomania lack of talent any elaboration would be a waste of time <laughs> like that's yeah his... but i think that's a joke between <laughs> I them i think kind it's a of. joke but yeah. there's also a truth in there as well it's like a it's difficult um kinski was just King, the, the, the portrayal of Kinski in these documentaries is the fact that he was he was a egomaniac or a narcissist, you might say. I don't, I don't like to kind of, you know, I don't like well, to I was diagnose say, someone. In, Bur- in Burden of Dreams, it's not really touched upon how on him really that much. You don't see yeah. his like outbursts or anything. It's more about the natives and stuff like that, yeah. more so like and and like how they're affecting their life. But, yeah. Um, but obviously, my my best fiend is more. That's that's where that meat and potatoes. That's where that that comes. It's all about their relationship. And I, I think, like, I think Werner's very similar to Kinski. I just think Werner keeps it internalized, just does it in a different way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and basically, they gave you this portrayal, and I think his his co-star, the actress, says this as well. Basically, about the scene they shoot with the cat, um, that uh, if. If attention wasn't on him, he would throw a fit. Basically, he the only way he knew how to kind of, kind of, you know, to get attention. The only way he knew how to kind of work that was to kind of throw these like huge fits. And Werner kind of knew when it was like a real problem to deal with, and when you can just kind of ignore him and let him go off. But it certainly made the working relationship incredibly difficult for like everyone else around them. And like, well, put it this way, Kinski never ever threatened to kill Werner Herzog. Werner Herzog threatened to kill Kinski <laughs> and himself and then plotted to blow up his house and then thought, no, because he's got a golden retriever or something at home. I don't, I don't think I'll do it. And I I think he... I don't think he would have done it, but I definitely think he thought very hard about it. Yeah, I think that's true. The, the the bit that because the two examples he gives is you said about this earlier that the woodsman got bit by a snake um and you know the snake it's like twenty four hour like twenty minutes or something I can't remember it kills you anyway and um because this was a big issue at this point Kinski throws a fit and makes it all about him and starts thro- and starts yelling about stuff when this guy's just cutting his leg off. This is the time when Kinski chooses to throw a fit. And the other time, a plane crashes that six people on the plane, all of them survived, but they were severely injured. I think one of them was paralysed from this. I've like, read that they some of them died. Right, I don't... Yeah, I, I seem to so have... So I don't know, I don't know what's well. myth and what's like yeah. reality. Um, the He goes like the radio chatter that day was really confusing and they're all trying to pay attention to that. So Kinski at this point throws a fit about his coffee being being like shit and like it was gets in Werner Herzog's face and screams at him for hours Herzog says and Herzog says he fixed this by going to his hut and taking out some chocolate that he'd hidden and going <laughs> right back into the chocolate in his face, face and, well, and he, because it's probably just it's kind of like sticking your finger up a, a, yeah. a dog's bum when it's attacking you because it's like oh what the fuck's coming on here it's like eating that chocolate in his face he's like hang on what, this power <laughs> thing is just flipped what's going on i don't understand what's going on <laughs> and there's a bit scene when they're showing when they're, sh- they're moving the boat and the kinsey's just flipping out at the production assistant i think it is it's not verna 
And um, Inverna's just sitting back going, well, I've seen him go more ape shit than this. Yeah. I just thought I'd let it, this I'd just is let a it play. One. <laughs> but you see all these Native Americans are standing around and they're just like clearly bothered by this like lunatic screaming in the middle, like the middle of the Amazon, and you see that it's bothering. And and Vern Herzog says about this, like he like you could see on set sometimes the natives would kind of go quite quiet and huddle together and kind of clearly have a problem which was going on, and it clearly strained the relationship of the whole filming because the natives were just like didn't didn't get him, didn't understand what like, all this anger was, and and knew that it was causing an issue and. Werner says, like, uh, they dealt with their problems in a different way, you know. Um, he has quite a romantic kind of almost... He has a very romantic view of the natives and treat and talks about them in a way that I think is really... Um, what's the word? Infantile? Um, mm. Which I think is a very... I would say it's a very kind of 1970s liberal kind of approach to the, like this, like kind of these communities and stuff like that. He definitely sees himself as, like... Or more advanced and like more enlightened and these people are more simple kind of people and I don't think he not in he doesn't mean anything bad almost I like think pets he has a, almost kind of kind of some, know, like, something to be protected and coddled like he I don't think he means this in a bad way I think he's trying to be really good um, it's just these clearly these are people who've lived out there for forever. hundreds of thousands of years without Western society affects them. They're brutal, they're savage, but they're also people as well. Do you know what I mean? It's they're, like they've got their own thing going on. They're not like... The thing is about like yeah. native tribes is they're as modern as you are. They're not prehistoric yeah. people. They're modern people. They live in the same world you live in. Just, but they're just a different area. Yeah, exactly. And he, the way he talks about setting... He set up two camps and wouldn't let the native people sit with the Europeans... Because he didn't want to let them eat the same them. food, or yeah, yeah, he didn't want eat the same food. He didn't want to poison their civilization and and let the West in. I'm like, I'm like, Werner, you're in the fucking Amazon. You're letting the West in. <laughs> the whole world is in the fucking Amazon. Like, like they know who you are. And he goes like that. He refuses to pay them a good wage. Not refuses. He's paying them what is a good wage for them. Like at the time, mm. but it's still an exploitative wage. Because oh, 100%, they, yeah. And there, there's a one scene in it where I think um, Kinski wants them to... Does he want some fish or something? It's something like that. And he pays them, like, quite a lot. Pays them what would oh, be... arrows. A, arrows, he's getting an thank arrow you, yeah. And he pays them what would be a day's wage for that, like, arrow. And they all think this is amazing. And then the Peruvian people on the crew charge the natives that much for Polaroids of them for on Polaroid. set. And he just, like... Werner, you're fucking feeding into the whole exploitation. Like, like yeah. you, you goes. I don't want to feed them too much money because money corrupts. But money is a product of where they live already. Like you're already part of this, and you're just exploiting them if you're paying them an exploitative wage, even if it's good for it's, them. Like even if it's a good it's wage like, for them, it's still exploitative. If they were that primitive, they wouldn't be using money. They, yeah, exactly, I mean? they yeah. wouldn't wear. <laughs> it's just this romantic view. He sees them as like romantic pe- people of the rainforest, and not understanding that it's still actually the modern world. That they're caught in between these fighting yeah. territories. They're caught between these huge corporations that are tearing down where they live, and they do not have property rights on it. Because in the time period of where this film is portraying, 
all these property rights were sold to European people and they exploited the shit out of them then. Like, by coming over here and doing this, you're still doing the same thing that you're showing in this film. In both mm. literal, as in dragging the ship over, but also in just the, the way you're using these people. You're still doing the same kind of, same pattern. You're still you're still maintaining that European exploitation of this this world and these people and these lands and that's really bothered me when watching this i couldn't forget it yeah. and like at like, all like like i was reading apparently like, i i can't clarify this because i only found it in like a few sources but sure. apparently one of the natives died like because of like you know the poor sanitation they had in Fuck. their campsite yeah so and i you know i just i wouldn't be surprised no like not and there's at all. a seat so there's a scene in the film when they're dragging the boat up the um, mm. up the hill, and there's two two of them are underneath the boat, and yeah. then they obviously die. They get crushed, and they show that in the documentary. But the way they show it in the documentary, it looks like oh shit, they are actually dead. Yeah, it's weird. Well, I think, I, and I was watching. I was thinking, I wouldn't be surprised. Like if they turned out to, they actually were dead. I wouldn't be surprised. They weren't. They get up and they jump yeah. in the river and kind of clean themselves off. But I, I for a second, I was like. I, well, well, I wouldn't be surprised. That bit where the ship slips down the hill is real. Yeah, that well, that like, could have killed people. Yeah, yeah, and that did slip. the 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 original German engineers set up broke, and it slipped all the way back into the river, like where it started from. So you see, just before shooting, Klinsky actually runs over and yells at these people to get out of the way. Do you, do you see that in the documentary before yeah, the actual yeah. shot goes up? So he he kind of saving those people's lives. Um, and then they shoot quickly the scene of them cheering that it's going up the hill because they finally got it moving in real life. That they, they jumped over to do the scene that's going up the hill. Then it broke, but I don't think Kinski and the and the other actor who plays the cook realised that it broke. So it's slipping back and they're still celebrating. And then the realisation like, set in that they can't move the ship. Like, it's fucked. And that was yeah. the point in like real life. Like, they use a bulldozer, don't they? Well, the bulldozer beforehand yeah. <laughs> also fucked up. But that that bit when the ship sinks that's in the film and it happened in real life, it was then something like, and I did write it down, but I've got so many notes for this. It sinked like six months it took to move the ship again, I think. No, it's still there. <laughs> well, they eventually did drag it up the hill, is what I mean. I just oh, mean- no, there is one. there is one boat that's actually... Stuck. Still yeah, that's the one that gets stuck. stuck on the rapids, I think. Yeah. Because <laughs> they destroyed another ship. They get stuck on But yeah, it took ship, six... But yeah, you're right. It took six months to actually get that up the hill. Yeah, from that first shot when you see them just starting moving it and then the bit later in the film when they actually get it up the, f- the ship, that was six months later when they brought in an entire new like engineering team from Lima, um, an entire new set doing it. And just watching it, well, I was, was really, again, this is all about na- the native population for me, but seeing them all like barefooted, lugging like these huge tree lungs, tree trunks around, seeing them all sitting around these pulley systems that it's so dangerous. Mm-hmm. And they're all, they've got all their kids and babies with them and stuff like that, all sitting right by these huge and things. And I'm like, you know, you know, it's not a Hollywood production. It's like <laughs> an independently produced film. Yeah. So, you know, the health and safety. It's just not, not existent. It's not, it's, yeah. it's not existent. Yeah. And it's just um, very uncomfortable. Like, and and just thinking, if I'm I'm so surprised this didn't have a higher death count. I guess is what I want to say. But like going back to you saying, Klinsky saved. You know, you think he helped save some people. Yeah, he, he's kind of like a yappy dog that's really loud. <laughs> yes, 
<laughs> but I think he's harmless at the end of the day. That was my whereas, original point I was trying to say, yeah, yeah. But whereas um, Werner Herzog is that kind of stoic, silent kind of guy, but I think he's more dangerous than Klinsky is, like, by a million miles. Like, you know, he, he put everybody in this, this situation. You're right. That's yeah, what I was yeah. going to say about the the natives yeah. being scared on set, and late later on, the chiefs are talking to Werner, and they they're like saying, "You probably picked up that we were quite afraid on site, but it actually wasn't Klaus. It was you that we were afraid yeah. of because you were really <laughs> quiet, like, and we didn't know what this quiet storm was going to do, you know, like. Whereas Klaus was an egomaniac and would just rage and throw everything out, but he was like he was like visual you could see where Klaus was going to throw you could tell when Klaus was going to chuck a coffee cup around the room or something you know like but you didn't know what what this this lunatic who's driving this whole project was going to do I will, I will point out as well apparently on another project on another film Kla- Klinsky did shoot an extra like through <laughs> a tent I don't think he meant shot their finger off <laughs> like, yeah I don't know but yeah, but, um, you do talk to him in that documentary. He's got a scar on his head, I think, or something. Where the, where oh the... no, that was when he he on on actual when they were fighting on set. He oh. hit one on top of the head with a sword. He had a, like a a metal helmet on, and I think that's just him probably just going too hard on yeah. this scene. I don't think he purposely meant to harm. Someone. I don't. If any act, if any actor went too hard on set, I can I can imagine it being Kinski. Yeah. Like. There is a bit later on where um talking of the natives of view of uh, Klaus, the the um one of the chiefs offers to kill <laughs> Kinski. <laughs> he goes like, Shall we kill him for you? And Werner's like, No, for God's sake, I still need him for shooting, leave him to me. I hundred percent wouldn't be surprised if they went to Klinsky. Do you want us to kill Werner? <laughs> <laughs> but he he says that um he kind of you exploited the rage or that this chief had against Kinski in the scene where like um, uh, Fitz is eating on the boat and all the natives are around him and they start playing panpipes the the lead guy who's wandering around is the guy who offered to kill Kinski so all that kind yeah. of tension you do feel in the film may not be acting from a lot of them on set like there was a lot of tension between all the different elements of this and especially the natives who would I don't think they were the bird that the kind of documentary does suggest the burden of dreams documentary does suggest that they didn't really know what they were signing up to do when they said they'll come they help out like know. um and then they kind of get trapped into this ongoing hellscape that goes on for i don't know two years or something of trying but to like it's not just them who mistreated i think animals are badly badly mm. treated in this film as well like you know like if you're watching the the, the documentary like there there's this pig that kind of oh, lives yeah. in the kind of the flood water thing, and the way they're kind of moving it around on set just looks like just very inhumane. They've got monkeys that are chained up. There's this, there's a tiger, like a baby tiger that he kind of throws on a bed, and it kind of looks like it's got all scabs all over its head. And you yeah, think, I noticed that. It's not a tiger, but it is what? like a wild, like a like a big like, cat, isn't it? Yeah, and it's, it's like what's going on there? And uh, its eyes were all really know, there's puffy. There's a bit in the document scabs all over its head and stuff. I I saw, and that. I'm not sure if. Werner Herzog was saving this animal or what but it, there was an, like a goat or something like swimming in the lake oh uh, yeah the water. I think I think he was saving it from the water yeah fair enough alright you're, you're a hero there though <laughs> <laughs> the way he's on that boat he's like he's like proper action man he's at the front of the boat the whole yes. time like you know just like I'm in the thick of this I'm you know more than any of you guys I'm in the thick of this yeah 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 and like 
I think that's definitely the way he shoots. It's kind of like, look, if I can do this, anyone can do this kind of thing. Yeah, he's like a bit like Tom Cruise, like doing all his own stunts and stuff. Yeah. But like, uh, like they actually crash the boat and they're actually in the boat in the rapids as it's thrashing around. Those scenes are immense. That are both yeah, in the apart film from when you see the little toy boat, the toy boat kind of ruined it a little bit because the water looks massive compared to the little toy. Boat. I don't know why they needed that because they had plenty of shots of the actual boat hitting and the kind of mock-up boat as well. The one when they put like scaffolding on a tiny boat. So that looked really good actually. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Those are the things the filmmakers do, <laughs> so they don't have to but, just send a huge steamship through but the like, The cinematographer got his hand cut open down the yeah. middle. And apparently it was something to do with the way Klinsky opened the door and it yes. sent the 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 lens cap the lens flying off the camera or something. I'm not exactly what, sure what was going on. No, but it's really basically Klinsky's but... he's raging while he's like yeah. helping the guy at the same time. So he's actually the the main actor is actually bandaging up the cinematographer because there's only like about four or five of them on the ship at this point because no one else wanted to go on it. Yeah, so ba- basically that they sent the ship down the rapids to film a ship going through the rapids and it gets quite badly damaged and but it's still kind of serviceable. So so Werner Herzog goes right. I'm going to get on the boat and I'm going to shoot some footage from the boat in the rapids that we'll use in the film. And Kinski goes well. If you're going on that boat and it goes down, I'll go down with you. So I'll get on it as well. So these two lunatics... They're like egging each other on. It's (laughs) like jackass, isn't it? They're just kind of like just trying to one-up each other's like mentalness. So this ship that's already kind of sinking gets like... They've got these two like raging maniacs on board uh, running about it. So they're shooting the actual film of Kinski waking up and realising that the rapids and him going mad on the ship and screaming about stuff. But they've got the crew in it as well. And literally... The, the behind the scenes footage is more mental than the actual footage he shot because you just see how like the ship is careening out of fucking control <laughs> they're acting but they're also not acting at all because most of them are just they, they, this ship's about to go down and as you say guys are getting their hands cut and they're, they're having to protect each other now and again when they see they're about to bash into the sides that they all kind of brace each other and stuff it's it's fucking mental. Apparently, when when he had his hands sewn up, because apparently it was really quite badly down the middle. Yeah, like you know, it's bleeding quite a it's lot. Apparently, sewn up. It, it was you know he it was quite a long surgery, and apparently because they had like uh, on the campsite they actually had prostitutes to kind of. Yeah, I was gonna say. Apparently, to, apparently a priest kind of suggested this or whatever to kind of keep mm. the men sane or something like that. So apparently one of the prostitutes put their breasts on his head to calm him down because <laughs> he had no anesthesia. So to, to calm him down and stop his screening, she just plopped her breasts on his head. <laughs> All these fucking 70s liberals who are just fucking mad, mad art people are just like, yeah, you know. Uh, Werner's like, well, obviously if I shot this film in uh, the Europe, I would never have prostitutes, but you just do that kind of thing here. <laughs> like, do <It's> you? Like- <laughs> do you, Werner? <laughs> Like, I remember watching the um, Lost in La Mancha documentary and thinking, yeah. oh, Ter- Terry Gilliam's insane, you know, like what he puts his actors through and his crew and stuff. I mean, they're very quite si- similar people. They're very both like egomaniacs, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, kind of, yeah. But, but, but I think um, I think Werner's got one up on him, <laughs> the kind of insanity. <laughs> I'm not sure there's a guy like Werner. I don't think there's anything yeah. to equivalent. But that's like, the other thing as well that happened. Didn't Mark Commode interview him once? Yes. And like he was getting shot at. 
he actually gets shot. He gets shot in the hip, doesn't he? But yeah. it's like, but he goes like, well, I think this he brushes isn't a... it off. Yeah, he, he, I think he said it's a small cow or something. So he's like, ah, oh, this is, I'm not really shot. I've been shot before, and it's like, no, Verna, you have been shot. <laughs> it's like, it's not an opinion. There is a bullet in you. It's still that. Yeah, Verna. I was talking about <laughs> shooting on the set as well, like um. They get into this whole thing when the bulldozer breaks down when they're trying to because first before pulling the ship up they they carve a, like a a scar through the landscape you know tear all the trees down and it looks if you like watch the aerial footage of that it looks shocking it's yeah, like it is shocking it is <laughs> it's like you did not need to do that it's like uh, just wanton destruction it's just. You go like we're we're not the loggers, but we're gonna just (laughs) yeah. Like I think he, I think in the documentary he justifies. He goes, look, we're not like those other westerners coming here. You know, we will actually leave at some point, but at what cost? (laughs) What cost? It's it's the same part when he's going. Well, money shouldn't be important to the natives, so I'm not gonna, you know. And he's like, well, it is. You can't just tell them it's not important. (laughs) But yeah, so what happens? They're kind of getting stuck there because the bulldozer's breaking down and you start getting tons of tension with the different native populations around. And I can't remember exactly how it happens, but basically a few, another tribe comes over and, and fires arrows at a bunch of other natives. And a, a, a woman gets hit in like the hip with an arrow and this guy gets okay. hit through the fucking neck with an arrow. Like, and they sew it up and the camp, you see the scar along his neck and his shoulder and stuff like that. Um, and in retaliation, the natives they'd hired for this film go off and go raiding. <laughs> like they all get their their. Yeah, he's like, who am I to kind of and... stop them doing their? Raid? Yeah. <laughs> so they they fuck off. So they can't they can't film anymore. They weren't filming anyway, but they they fuck off to go raiding. And a while later, they come back and say, "Look, we 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 calmed everything down without like fighting, which is wonderful." Like, uh, but the other thing, the thing that made me laugh is that Verna's holding these arrows that had gone through this man, and he's like, "Look, you those, got all the blood those on it." Blades are massive. They're huge, aren't they? The fuck, like the huge arrowheads. And he's like, They're "Look, like you got spears. all the blood here and and stuff." And he's going, he goes, oh, "What was it?" He goes, "I might give this to my son. He'll be really excited by the idea that this has gone through a man." <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he is. I'm sure he is, Werner. <laughs> oh dear, it's insane. Should, should we actually go through the film a little bit? <laughs> yeah, why not? We'll try. Uh, <laughs> it's um, this film opens very fucking weirdly as well. Like, um, do you know what annoyed me was? Is you've got loads of great imagery of the opera, yeah, and it's just covered with the uh, credits all over it and that yeah. really bugs me and I don't know true. about you but I actually I thought this film was originally shot in German so I put the so my Blu-ray has the option that says do you want to watch the British the English or the German version <laughs> did you watch the German and, um, version <laughs> well I put it on and then I was thinking hang on I was watching their mouths move and I was thinking yeah. hang on they're speaking English yeah. so then I put on the English version and I think they're actually dubbed again in English yes. the in- so I I I went through a very similar process because <laughs> the, the, it's clearly the whole film's ADR'd, but it is ADR. Well, I mean, by you'd the have to themselves. on the water and stuff like that, clearly. Yeah, but, that's um, true. But I thought, oh, maybe it's ADR'd because they're um, actually shot it in German, but they didn't. They shot it in yeah. English. So yeah, 
Uh, but I think they've got that many different people from different cultures. So, you know, you've kind of got Mexican, I think mm. you've got, you know... Uh, a lot of the kind South of bit American. characters in this are all Brazilian soap opera actors and stuff like that. And they're fucking awesome. I, I think, like, yeah. they're really good in this film. The guy um, who plays Don Aquilo, Aquilio, um, who I just think was fucking great. He's like a Brazilian... Oh, the one who's throwing the money at the fish and the fish yeah. is the money. yeah. yeah. <laughs> And he's being carried around by the Sherpas or whatever. Or I whatever couldn't believe that. Like, like that that scene when he's getting carried through the jungle by like the natives and yeah. the, all the natives are just like in bare feet carrying him on his shoulders. I was like, I know this is what the fucking rubber barons would have done, but it makes me really uncomfortable to see it. Yeah. But it's he he, like... you, he personifies that kind of person though. Like he's got that big, he's just a big guy and he's kind of mm. got those kind of, his mouth's that big that his teeth aren't big enough to fill it, so they're kind of like stick out and they're kind of a bit spaced out <laughs> at the bottom. And do you know what I mean? He looks like he's always kind of wiping his face and I don't know, yes, sweaty. There's, and- a, there's a good scene where he's they're shooting and he walks across. This is in the documentary, and he's he's like mosquito net keeps blowing down in front of his face, um, and Werner <laughs> comes over to tell him to kind of maybe maybe you. Uh, put the hat down before you walk across here and the guy without Werner saying anything has already taken it off and he's using it as a fan for the next part of the yeah. scene and I just really like that that was a, that's an actor really thinking like no I'll use it like this and Werner's like yeah wonderful yeah yeah great like uh, and I, I just like he like I just thought this guy um uh Jose Jose yeah he um he like, looked like the friendliest person they had on set basically <laughs> like just a friendly Brazilian actor who got roped into Peru with but so the beginning of the film starts off with like a, an an opera, and it's all, yeah, uh, and then Fitzcarraldo turns up on this small boat with his like with uh, is it Molly? Yes, Molly. And um, Claudia so Cardinale. Is, is Fitzcarraldo meant to be Irish, by the way? Yes, I'm assuming <laughs> we haven't. Yes, <laughs> yes, this is one point. <laughs> <laughs> he's not just playing an I- he's playing an Irishman. <laughs> Kels Kaczynski is playing an Irishman called Brian Sweeney Fitzgerald. <laughs> he's the least probably more believable Irishman with the original actor, had. but yeah, a little more. Yeah, like, yeah, that's a really good point. <laughs> but anyway, he gets off this small boat and he's like, he's got this white suit, but it's just filthy, filthy. Yeah, like yeah. you know, he's like he's been trekking through the Amazon for weeks on end. Yeah. And like well, he has. To get to this yeah, he says yeah, that he he's has, been yeah. on a boat for two and a half days. No, is it two and days and two nights? He's been rowing. He's desperate to see this performance because he loves the singer. Is it the same song that he's playing on the the record? It's not the same song. It's the same uh, it's the same performer, uh, opera singer, same performer who Got he's you. obsessed with. Um, then, which the play though they watch at the beginning is uh, a Verdi. Um, okay. Arani, Arani, I, like, I think it is. Yeah, I like how he's late to the performance, and a bit like that scene in Spider-Man Three with uh, the snooty usher. <laughs> it's, it's it's changed in this one. The guy lets them in, and uh, they kind of watch the rest of the opera together. But then it's a I funny guess little the conversation that they that, has. The guy's like, "Yeah, yeah I'd, I'd like, like to I'd go like see to the go opera see too." <laughs> but um, so the scenes that follow in that, I guess, is when he's trying to get the money to kind of create his. Uh, opera theatre or whatever. Yeah, because in- yeah, he's obsessed with opera and wants, he's had to travel, as you say, two days and two nights to go to this opera. So he wants an yeah. opera house where he lives in the town where he lives in. Uh, Irikos or something. Um, and uh, he originally tries to kind of, um, he's just trying to 
kind of get all the local like rubber barons, the rich people there, to pay for it themselves, to invest in it themselves. And none of them give a shit. They don't care about art. They just don't care about art. They care about money, <clears throat> you know. Um, and of course they fucking do. <laughs> like, uh, so you kind of go through Fitz's life a little bit, don't you? It's a very long yeah. start before you get anywhere in the jungle. Oh, I it's think. a it's a good hour until you probably yeah. he gets the boat. I think. Yeah, I think it is because you you kind of go through him being like an ice. He tries to be an ice baron. That's a big part of his backstory. Uh, that he's trying to bring ice to the to Peru. Mm-hmm. Um, he also was a railway person. His family would try to build the uh, Southern American Railroad before they went. It's bankrupt. like I have a, I have a feeling all the original perform you know actor with you know Mick Jagger and that. I have a feeling they didn't get to the boat stuff. I have a feeling it was all this stuff that they'd filmed. Yeah. I think you're right. Because, must be right. Because if you yeah. watch the documentary, you're, the only footage you see is of them in, by the bell tower. Yes, yeah. And, Which has uh, such and different maybe, energy. And um, did I imagine this, or are they making some sort of ice drink as well? Like a... No, they're making kind of like... They're making like yeah, a little like a weird slush puppy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But apparently that's the only footage that exists of those, because apparently if Werner... Verna, Deletes he he burns or destroys footage that's not that's not used. So um, okay. that's all that exists of that performance. Fair enough. <laughs> but yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um. Yeah. So the barons here are just. This is definitely making a statement about kind of the ridiculous opulence of like kind of the Europeans in this time period. Like the barons are just ridiculously wealthy. The one baron is just obsessed with the fact how funny it would be to kind of lose money. He's like, how do you lose money? Well, how does this work? He's obsessed with it. Like, imagine how hilarious it would be to go bankrupt. I think it's one of his lines. Um, oh yes, yeah. <laughs> but I don't understand the why one. the fish eats the money. <laughs> I I think fish will eat anything. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> fair <lands> enough. <laughs> that doesn't mean they don't spit it out again. But yeah, he's the one who throws money at the fish to be like, look, you know, I don't give a shit about your opera house. This is how much I don't give a shit about money, though. I just don't like your opera house. Like, and he chucks in the the kind of the money into the fishing pool and the fish will eat it it's and it's just like it's all colonialism on full display really all this stuff what's the scene where they're all um sitting around the poker table or whatever and um just they're all like disgustingly those like just disgustingly wealthy looking people (laughs) as it pans around the table and they're They're all all laughing and they're kind of they're all like sweaty and they have like champagne glasses and stuff is it in the film or is it in the documentary where they're sharing out glasses of champagne? I think it's in the documentary. But they give the natives a glass of champagne to, to drink with them. And they, instead of having a glass each, they pass the glass around like they do with their own drink. <laughs> Just sharing uh, it. Because they're sharing it. This is a nice thing. I'll have a sip, you have a sip kind of thing. And like, Oh, that, that's... Sorry, carry on. No, go on. I just like it's a it was a stark difference to me between like the kind of you know these these people as you say like playing poker and stuff like that are basically having a bottle of champagne each you know yeah yeah and I just thought that was really stark in the way these two kind of cultures are clashing really and I think That's... you're gonna say it the scene with when they share a drink themselves yes what when he, what do you mean he's drinking out of the the he they actually drinks milk. Yes. That's yeah, yeah. Name. So the natives have a 
I, I can't remember its name, but it's it's a no, it's a fermented drink that's really important in their kind of like um, societal kind of bonding rituals and stuff like that. And they all drink out the same. They'll cup. spend all day making it, won't it? Their yeah. whole like livelihood's based around making this drink, and it's based like around a, making it. Yeah, but it one of the key ingredients is spit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it kind of ferments the spit or something. I don't yeah. know. Um, but Klaus Kinski is not only in character but also himself incredibly yeah. <laughs> turned off by this idea uh he klaus kinsey was obsessed with he'll get an infection from it so he refused to drink it so um he just he poured away this drink that they'd made that they were sharing and put like condensed milk in it or something because it looked yeah. similar which made me laugh because i was like if you're trying to like you're working with these natives so close and this is really important to them maybe don't do that <laughs> like maybe that's not a thing you do <laughs> like when something's yeah. that but it's also that made key. out of the river water that's not been probably yeah, sure. uh, treated and stuff like that. there's a lot of things I'll say, yeah, anyway yeah I can imagine it's just it just made me laugh in like it just it just made me think about like the the way like they're clearly trying to make a they're clearly trying to make a point about kind of European colonialism in this film but also they're but the, kind of doing the same thing in real they're life they're just backing everything up yeah <laughs> yeah but where were we um yes yeah, so he kind of realizes that he's never going to get any rubber barons to make to kind of put the money up himself so he starts thinking maybe he has to become a rubber baron so one of the local other barons give gives shows him an area of the amazon that uh is unclaimed it remains an unclaimed parcel because we're in this you're in this time period at the moment where uh the peruvian government i guess um are selling off plots of the amazon to like european industrialists to exploit and to make money from so there are these plots of land that are already drawn out and it doesn't matter to the people that drew these things about who's living in these areas it's just the fact that it's got rubber trees in it and that's what everyone's making tons of money from but the problem with this area of land is the fact that it's not accessible from the Amazon because of a huge amounts of rapids that are on the river. Uh, so in between this plot of land and the Amazon, which the Amazon is then in trade to the Atlantic, there's this these impassable like uh, rapids. And Fitz notices on the map that the another tributary of the river comes very close to uh, the other river that the plot of lands on so he starts thinking if i can get a ship down the river that we can sail and then get it to the river that we can't sail if i get a boat basically beyond the rapids i can use the boat in that river to kind of transport the <laughs> up and down the river and then get it to the amazon on the river we can transport this I've made such a bad effort of explaining this and I have to point out that like the film explains this like five times even like oh yeah 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 really far along in the film they're still explaining his plan because it doesn't quite make sense like because you still have to get the rubber from the river that you can't pass to the river that you can pass and it doesn't like yeah, so, so so you've got to get the boat back over the other side it would have made more sense to take so another two boat boats. that they could have yeah. constructed on the other side so you've got two boats yeah. either side that would have he made more sense he basically should have taken one boat down and then on the other river built a boat 
by just yeah exactly which, well like the original guy he just dis- he dis- yeah, which is what the original guy does yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> instead have another boat that's inside the bigger boat yes. and take the smaller boat over the other side that would have made yeah. sense but no that's the not. more yeah that's the funny thing as well the original story the guy didn't drag a ship over the hill the the guy dismantled a smaller boat and took it over and, not and only that, built the boat again <laughs> So that was a 30-ton boat. This is a 365-ton yeah. boat. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, it's insane. It's insane. Like, I love that the fact that the original, the actual thing that actually happened is a different story, really, than what they're actually doing. So, yeah, he eventually gets a boat, doesn't he, that's in very need of, like, repair. Yeah. Yeah, which is actually just what it and, looked like when they got it for the film. That's what I quite yeah. liked. And I think the shots of them doing it up is just them hiring the local people to do up the boat for the film, really. Yeah. The one guy that they hire that's kind of like the go-between, almost between the, the Brazilian guy, you know, he's kind of got a massive... He's got a massive jaw. He looks like a Bond villain. Do you know what I mean? He's, he's it, a big tall guy. Oh, God. I wrote that this guy is like an Incan god. Like, yeah, he's, he's the, the guy did, that's in Puma Man. Oh, is he? That Brandon was on about. Yeah, yeah. So he's um, he's like the engine room guy. He's the guy like shoveling coal into the steam engine, basically, to yeah. get it to work. He's huge. Yeah, giant jaw. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's really cool. <laughs> but he's kind I'm, of... he's not, He's not a spy, but he's definitely like... Keeping tabs on Fitzgerald originally, anyway, isn't he? And he's a bit unsure about him. I'd say so. He's definitely got his number yeah. anyway. He he knows that this is good. this is bad news. I think. Um, you're also introduced to the uh, the captain. Yes. Um, yeah, they hire a, they hire a Dutch captain. Um, Who he's... I swear that's not his real voice. And I can't. I looked it up and I tried right. to find out because obviously he's dubbed. But he yeah. sounds exactly like the guy from Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, who you know the Don d- <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, Paul Hitch Hitch Hitcher doesn't seem to have much. The actor. Yeah, the actor himself who plays. Oh yeah, the yeah, guy. yeah. Uh, He doesn't. Uh, he, seem to, have to be honest, else. I wouldn't be surprised if he was a real boat captain. Yeah, you know what he could be. The fact he really that he's actually be. operating the boat. Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That could be true. It's like a, I think a lot of the people they probably hire in this are probably people who do what they do for a living. Like I think a I lot like of the them chef, are people though. who were who were just in the city, yeah, in the town. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the chef's the same thing. The cook, um, Hurakiki, Hurakiki, or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's his actual name as well. That's what gives me the hint that he was just <laughs> a guy that they had around town. He's wonderful. I love this guy, the cook. He's fucking brilliant. I love how he brings on his women <laughs> to the boats. So that, I couldn't work. Are they? Are they prostitutes or not? I think so. I think so. Yeah. Um, I like how they have a fight on the uh, on the boat, and they then uh, Fitzcarraldo just kicks them off the boat. (laughs) (laughs) And like, yeah, Orinoco Paul, as he calls himself, is not happy that there's women on his boat because that's that's an omen. Women bring death on ships or something. (laughs) Uh, Tell you though, when they when they when they finally set sail and they go to go and get the. the railroad tracks because i'm assuming that's his original plan to kind of get the ship over the mountain i don't you know what i don't know because they don't seem to use because there's a line later on and he the the captain goes well i could have told you that the railroad tracks would have been no good in getting that boat over the mountain so i'm assuming though he was planning on 
creating uh, something yeah. that could push them over. I was just like, you could have just built a train going either yeah. side. Like, if you have, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> they have a train. <laughs> they have a train. His family build train lines. So you could have just made a little train line, a little tram line going up this hill. Not a big one, just a small tram line going up and down this hill. Could have been what you needed. <laughs> but that station master, who's played by Grand He's Otello wonderful. or something like that. Yeah, yeah, He is yeah. my favourite character Otello. He's like so happy to see Fitzgeraldo yeah. because obviously he's he's kind of abandoned this project. It's like one of his many yeah. projects that he kind of half finishes or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, he's been looking after it kind of, you know, making sure that no one steals like the iron, you know, from the, the tracks and stuff. And he's even electrified yeah. them so anyone gets close <laughs> to it. And uh, like he's really upset when they start to take the tracks up, but he's like, just yeah, don't take yeah. the ones under the under the the actual train. Yeah, if you take the ones under the and train, when... I can't move the train. And he's wearing his little kind of train outfit as well. <laughs> yeah, you can yeah. tell he's been washing it and cleaning it yeah. for like, like 10 years. He puts years it on every day waiting for Fitzgerald to turn up. <laughs> but I was hoping I was hoping he joined them on the crew yeah yeah but apparently he's like a famous um, South American or um, comedian yeah like he was he, in, you know he was um, he's got a huge list of credits and he seems like yeah. he was an actor comedian singer composer as well like um, really interesting guy actually uh, and he was great in this film had tons of it when he turned up I was like this guy is great another bit player the bit players in this film were all and he was another one that I just thought was wonderful um, yeah. as you say like uh, wish wish he had gone on the boat most wish he was around more yeah it, although maybe the actor maybe looked out there he had probably one of the easy scenes. <laughs> he, he probably saw what was coming and was like, yeah. <laughs> "Nope." Weird thing. It says it says here he died seventy eight years old in Charles de Gaulle Airport in France in the airport. Oh, okay, that's weird. Like, weird. Anyway, he was yeah, he was wonderful. Uh, I just as you say, I love the I loved I quite like the captain, even though he's a dick. But I love the cook and I love the engineer and I love this guy as well. I love the cook. I just love how he's um so happy about everything and like and then they, no, they keep no, saying, yeah just kind of goes with the flow and he can he's like they keep saying he's really he's really intelligent and you kind of actually do get that from him as well it's not yeah. just a throwaway thing he is really intelligent he's just a drunk basically it's like later on in the film when you think everyone's abandoned him you think the cook's abandoned him as well yeah he's just asleep still <laughs> he's like oh i drank too much what what we on the rapids what <laughs> like but going back a bit like molly the the uh the madam yeah. why do you think she's so obsessed with Fitzcarraldo? like what is, what is it about him do you think that she's like i wrote a similar question to myself because there's a scene where they're at the party and everyone goes mad at fitz and molly did he play the song didn't he put the song on the um, yeah he puts he tries thing. to put some opera on the and someone else's party yeah um and molly stands up for him She's not. She's not like this guy's an idiot. This. She's like, no, he's great. Like, and he loves opera, and opera's fantastic. And I love his passion. And like, she really likes him. She like, it's not. Well, she's she's his benefactor. She pays for the shit yeah. that he he buys and and uh, yeah, he yeah. funds him, and she she does every he, like he names the boat after her. They have a relationship that's quite solid, to be honest. It's not yeah. like one of these. It's not one of these that 
that are portraying them in any bad way. It's that these these two people stand by each other, you know, in their own way, and they they kind of work with each other. It's um, yeah, it's inter- It's weird. He, it's a weird one because. But he ref- he refuses to live or stay with her though, and just chooses to go back to his like um, you know his his flood water shanty house where all the kids adore him. Yeah, like that yeah, was, yeah. That was weird. She's an odd one, and that painting that he gives her is so terrifying. Oh, it's so badly done. <laughs> it's them two he looks, I tell you what, that painting, like, I think he looks a bit like Steve Buscemi anyway, but in that painting, right. he definitely looks like Steve Buscemi. <laughs> if any painting was ever haunted, it's like it's that oh, type of that painting. <laughs> yeah. Just the, the spirit of, 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 I don't know, the spirit of... of Klaus just this haunting this photo and bringing destruction to all around it. It's like a Ghostbusters too. There is a so cool scene later at this point when like they're kind of they're into like they're they're going down the one of the rivers and the river's full of like uh tribal areas which are um really hostile, known to be really hostile. And uh they're all kind of holding their guns and they're ready to get attacked and things like that, and they're hearing all the kind of music coming from the, the jungle around them and uh then you get klaus's idea basically to stand on top of the ship and play opera into the um into the jungle which well it's I almost couldn't... like every time he plays his music his fortunes change for him that's almost. true yeah 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 there's definitely a change of stuff and in this case i was like is this a warning or like a peace offering it's so hard to tell but it seems like yeah. the natives took it as um as a like a I guess a peace offering, though the natives kind of um, it's almost a bit uh, close encounters. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah, it is, isn't it? The relationship the the, the kind of native pop- tribal populations have to Fitz is weird, um, because they help him and they end up becoming like his workforce to get the ship over the the hill. Well, you know they- why Klinsky was probably interested in doing this. He's like, so I'm a white god. Sign me yeah. up. <laughs> and yeah, as you were saying, there's this old adage that they see him as a god, which is um, anthropological bullshit that we, that Europeans keep telling ourselves about how this is how the natives saw us, uh, which is not true. Uh, it's it's never been true. <laughs> like, and uh, they um they this plays into this film massively that you get the impression that. The film kind of says that natives see him as some sort of god and they need to kind of help him with this. However, it's more like there's... It's more like they see it as like an omen. If they don't help him, the river gods will be mad. And once they do get the ship over the mountain, they cut the ship loose to let it go into the rapids and get destroyed uh, because the river gods will be angry that Klaus or you know Fitz came and did this to defy all nature. So it's weird. It's a weird back and forth to me that they kind of they help him because they see it as like him as like some spiritual force that they need to help, but also then they scupper him because they need to maintain chaos and harmony in the world or something. So at this point in the film, all of his crew has pretty much abandoned him apart from the main kind of the yeah. main like three guys. And there's a great sequence though where like the, the captain's like, I've never seen this before. And he's like, what, seen what? And he, like, they turn around and they just yeah, see like, cool. loads of them all behind them. But the thing that 
like we're talking about the destruction, they're just chopping down these massive trees to like barricade the river. Yeah. And it's just like, oh man, did you need to do that? <laughs> like I I'm a it, big I'm a I love trees and stuff like that. Like I'm a bit of a hippie kind of guy with it because sure. things like that. And whenever I see trees chopped down and stuff, it's like why like and this sounds really weird, but I I try not to do any of my art on paper anymore. I kind of keep it all digital and stuff like that just because it kind oh, of really makes me sad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, even though but, I'm using electricity, which uses fossil fuel, but anyway. <laughs> sure. But, um, Do what but we yeah, can. it's just, but it's just crazy just seeing these massive, beautiful trees just being like hacked yeah. down just for a film. And it's like, oh. it's um, when you watch them in the documentary and actually in the film, the the people clearing trees, they're, they're experts at it. It's quite amazing actually seeing them fell a tree. Um, yeah, with the, with their kind of with the technology they like, have, I know they do it in their culture and that's fine. But just for a, for a film, it's just it just well, didn't feel like it was necessary. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That the, the silly thing is, there's such a big difference between these people who probably every single day they're chopping down trees. It's it's probably the most important thing to keep you know, the society yeah. running. Uh, it's such a big difference them doing that every single day and also planting and also the fact that forests you know regrow in that kind of way, but. Well, they've kind of got that. A, re, they've got that relationship with the with their yeah. surroundings, though, haven't they? I'm sure. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Whereas, and it's the same. It's the same thing as woodlands in the UK. Like, it's the, there's a there's a European idea that the Amazon is more natural than the world we live in because it's more confusing to us. But all the archaeological work they're doing nowadays is showing that the Amazon's as planted as woodland in the UK is because these the Amazon has been continuously lived and used as a resource for thousands mm-hmm. and thousands of years. Like, So the difference between these people using their resource in the way they use it is such a difference between tearing a scar <laughs> through the landscape yeah. with bulldozers. I mean, that's such a difference. That's such a ten- tangible difference. Like, and and you're right. That's the, that's the weird thing about this film is seeing them like knock a tree down. Is like, yeah, that's that's okay. But then seeing what they do only like half an hour later when they they mass just tear out a scar of the land is, I think it's a bit shocking to me. I found it shocking. You know, I did. Yeah. Found it off-putting and shocking. But as and the funny thing about the scene you're saying as well, when the canoes are all following them and they're all heavily armed, is uh, when they shoot that scene as well. This is a they have to go shoot this scene because they get trapped shooting something else. I think they they get a boat stuck, so they go shoot a different scene with a boat. And um, they basically found found it terrifying while shooting it because these people are all like outnumber them, are kind of in these canoes far away from them. They're all heavily armed. They don't really speak the same languages. They can communicate. And you get this bit in the documentary where they're actually quite tense, this situation is. It's tense in the film and it's tense when they're actually making it, which is, again... Well, you see the, that. The, you see Werner Herzog kind of direct... He's wearing his little Speedos or little yeah. shorts. <laughs> and he's like, you know, he's having a go at one of the ones in yellow because they're sitting to the wrong side of the boat and stuff. Like yeah, that. yeah. It's like, it's like, go back! And they've got to travel all the way back upstream. <laughs> Is it worth all this effort? I don't know. (laughs) I can't tell if it's worth all this effort. That's I can't (laughs) tell. (laughs) I'm broken by it. Um, Yeah, and yeah, so they come on board and you get this. I think it's a really cool scene when they're walking on board and they're all kind of shaped like like stroking Fitz's hand. Like uh, like it's like they're making a deal and then they're kind of crowding around him and they're kind of 
you know, touching his hair and, and, and cheek. But that kind of little little kind of brush of a handshake, I just think is such a cool little kind of thing they captured for this film. And it's really like, it's one of the only moments of the time in the Amazon where there's a peace, where there's like, it's not like hell. It feels like they're achieving something and you can do this and it's successful and this is going to work and there's harmony in the kind of story they're telling. Uh, so it's I worth really noting, like I think the, sh- the chef is the only one who kind of can communicate like back and forth with them. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, I don't know if the engineer can as well. but you, Oh, he, he might be able to, yeah. You don't see too much of him either. Um, he's more just in the... He's not as forward focused in these the latter sections I think really than the other he for some reason though he's got flipping uh dynamite and he's just like chucking it in the <laughs> river and just like I could have pictured him in like loads of canon films in the eighties. I don't know if he was or anything like that, but like mm. he feels like he would have been a lot of straight to video kind of yeah action yeah. films. Um yeah. this is the spe- yeah so this time of the film where as you say, like um, they start just carving their scar through the landscape, and I did love the old school thalodolite that Fitz uses. That's a cool little bit of old technology that I enjoyed. Um, What's that then? It's the thing for measuring levels. You know, when he's looking. Oh through yeah, and, what they whenever they're and, doing new roads and stuff, they get them at the yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the and he's got an old timey one, which I just thought was really cool. Um, and he's just basically marking the trajectory, like, go through this way. This is the, how we're going to get to the other side kind of thing. And the same thing, this is the bit when they take you up into the tree canopy as well and they, they shoot him with a helicopter. And there's a bit in the documentary when they explain uh, that um, Klaus Kinski does a thing called the Kinski spin, I think Hertzcock called it. And he liked, he liked to enter the camera by standing kind of side to side with the camera twisting his feet in a way that meant he kind of swung into frame from the side. Well, I guess it gives you a bit of action, just kind of a bit of... Yeah, and a bit of, like... movement. And a bit, yeah, a bit of movement. Into it. So Kinski loved doing this, and apparently he did it in this tree canopy scene when there's, like, three of them on top of the trees in a shaky little thing, and the production <laughs> guy who was shooting them from the helicopter was... He said that he was worried that they were going to kind of fall off it. Uh, which, yeah... <laughs> I'd be worried too. <laughs> and yeah, you, you start building all this. You get all the pulley systems being put together now and um, they start pulling out these huge tree trunks that, that are using to kind of pull so, the whole ship like together. In a, in a normal film, you think, okay, th- these are probably like hollowed out trunks. They're probably, you know, they're not real. They're made out of MDF. <laughs> They're just painted, <laughs> you know what I mean? But no, these are proper huge fucking trees. They probably cut down there and then, and they're actually lugging around, using their heads as, like, I don't, like, like earlier on in the film, you see them, like, walking around with, like, ice blocks, carrying them around with their heads and their right. their luggage and stuff. And you think, oh, God. <laughs> that would hurt. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's funny because, like, you're watching them build this pulley system to pull but the boat. They're really and pulling a. Yeah, it's they're not really building one. He's just shooting reality in a like a feature theatrical style. I like mean, you can you can tell he's a document documentary filmmaker. Yeah, because he's obsessed with the reality of it. Do you know what I mean? And yes, there's a bit you know. There's a bit in the Klaus Kinski documentary where he describes 
um, shooting Machu Picchu for the first film. And uh, he he gets angry at Klaus Kinski because Klaus Kinski wants him to shoot a way that he considers a postcard. You know, like that it would show all of like the landscape in a way that he thinks yeah, you, you can get that on a postcard. Way. Yeah. Uh, and I don't want to shoot that. I want to shoot. And he, and he uses it. I wish I'd written it down because he uses a bunch of words together that describes the way he wants to shoot it. And none of them to me were a description of how he wants to shoot it. <laughs> it was like, if, if that, that was like on an order card like i want it shot like this i'd be like okay i'm I've, i'm not I'm none the wiser of how you want it to be shot he's just like i decided to have no faces in it and klaus was very angry that i wouldn't shoot his face in it so i but i yeah, said he, no he, human he was that faces far back this, so. it was it's basically a big load of them walking down a mountain isn't it and yeah or you know like a pathway and he shoots that far back and it's that cloudy that you can just see like little figures just moving so he just like took him out so he's just, yeah, not just, even yeah. in that wide shot <laughs> it just takes out his like um power in the scene like but also sh- doesn't do it in a way that's grandiose at all like it doesn't like yeah he, what cow says that the only interesting it's not showy is, like, <laughs> yeah it's not showy thank you yeah yeah and i think it's similar for this, like in the fact that I don't, it's not a word this, but it makes them, it makes it the way he shoots this make it makes it, I think, look a little easier to move the boat than it actually was. Because oh yeah, yeah, I think he's shooting it with that without being showy enough. If that well, makes because sense. it's it's because it's very I wouldn't say tight. It's quite tight shot, so you don't really is, see the yeah. vast scale of it. Where yeah. it, you know it's quite close, and um, that's why I was saying they could have faked it. You know, like <laughs> well, <yeah>. having <laughs> half of a ship or that's completely hollowed out, that's that weighs nothing. Do you know what I mean? That they could have just pushed up from the back yeah. with a bulldozer or something. Do you know what I mean? There's so many ways they could have like faked this, and it would look just as good. But no, he had to do it because he. Ha- because and he didn't, he didn't have to be 20 minutes by boat from any civilization to shoot this. Like, he could have been down the road from where he was staying yeah. in the town and still yeah, just found, like... because all you like, see is a few trees behind them and mud. Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly, yeah. You know, he could have shot it in a week as opposed to six months, and I don't... I don't <laughs> like, I understand, like, you know... I get it, I get it, I'm, yeah. I, I torture myself with making films. You know, I make life difficult for myself. But there's a point where there's making it difficult and there's just being needlessly wasteful <laughs> and, I don't know. And the thing is, if it was no one else but Werner, I'd be like, I don't know. I I, I don't know. The fact that it's Werner, I can't, I can't tell Werner Herzog what to do. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. what's my opinion on what Werner Herzog wanted to do to shoot this? It's nothing, you know. He, like, but it's just, it, it's a, it was a thought that I couldn't stop thinking about when watching the film, especially when watching the doc. Like, in the fact that so much human misery went through this film, um, and it was kind of needless. And that might be the think- point. I think that might be the point. Well, that's what I was saying. Like, there's that quote <laughs> yeah. that he said that he's a connoisseur in the what is it? I can't remember what I said now, but in the, the needlessness, Con- like, conquistador you know I mean? or the, ne- the useless. I think is the, useless, yeah, yeah. You know, like, um, like, but when you was like, so when they get to the other side and it, they're all cheering and they're like all happy and stuff, you kind of unless you don't unless you haven't read into the film or watched the documentaries, I don't think you feel that elation that you should feel. Yeah, Personally, I get that. I don't know. 
Just because, like you were saying, they didn't film it grandiose enough, or at least just have a few shots, like aerial shots or something that kind of shows how much they've got to travel. Because apparently it's meant to be like a two mile, a mile to two mile kind of span. Yeah. Which is, that's quite vast. Which is insane. The whole thing but is you insane. Don't get, it just looks like, to me, it just looks like a small hill that you see in a park. Yeah, you're right. And it's, I think it's probably largely to do with how kind of out of control this production had gone. Even to be, uh, can you imagine trying to do camera setups for something that you're scared is going to start kill half your crew? You know, if, yeah. it, if any, another rope breaks. After waiting six months to even shoot it moving because you couldn't get it moving, like... I think, and the fact that no one would fund this film anymore, the fact that, like, once the boat stopped moving, all the backers, like, left the film. So, like, and no backers were going to join it unless he got the boat moving. So it was this, like, this kind of conundrum of chicken and egg. Like, you need the boat to move to get money, but you need money to make the boat move. Um, And so I think, like, he was out of, out of, like, kind of choices by that point. He, like, all his kind of, like, all his, like, ability to manage the set and manage the shots were lost at the point when this was shot then because it just by because of practicalities i think like Mm. but it's yeah it's it's funny to me that it it, because of the way it's cut or the way it's edited it did look easier i thought than actually it was in real life so yeah they get to the other side they're all cheery and happy uh they all party they get drunk then mm-hmm. uh, Fitzcrowder wakes up in the morning, uh, crew gone, <laughs> yeah. save for the captain and the chef, and yeah. I guess the um, the other guy, the is he and the gone? engineer, I can't yeah. now. no, the engineer's and still the engineer. there. It's the original crew. He's yeah, still it's just the yeah the natives have gone basically. Just the, oh, it's, it's worth pointing out that that once when they're like when they're pulling the ship up, uh, two of the two of the natives die, mm. and then yeah. they leave, don't they? Yeah, they, they leave for again. two days and two nights or something. Yeah, yeah in like a sense of morning. Again. Yeah, and they come back. And in that time, the drunken cook has figured out a way to help move the boat using the anchor. I don't know That's how. That's it. But yeah. he has definitely <laughs> helped. <laughs> like, the drunken cook has helped somehow. That's important. But anyway, Fitzcrowder wakes up on the boat and it's it's like on a collision course to the rapids, so it's going the opposite yeah. way, I guess, to to where they want to go basically yeah they, they never and, wanted uh, to go anywhere near the rapids yeah and then they end up in the rapids <laughs> <laughs> and yeah we always spoke about this the ship crashes shore to shore the actual this actual footage of the ship getting stuck and everything else like that happened but in the, the film the, the scenes isn't it they're actually trying to play the music on the on the gramophone <laughs> it, while they're in the rapids and I think the, the needle's key. broke, so they have to create a needle out of like an actual sewing needle. Sewing like needle. And then they've removed so much ballast from the boat um, that the boat is too light to sail. So they're trying to sail it down this river, and the river tide itself is sending them backwards, no matter how much steam and and stuff they pump into the engine. So, but you're watching them, and they're meant to be going forwards, and they're just going back and back and back and back. And you see it on Werner's face that this is this is catastrophe, and then it <laughs> crashes into the banks behind them like a real a massive force. And I think at that point, that boat just gets stuck there. I don't think that boat moves yeah, it's, again. <laughs> like, it's still there, I think. I think that's the one that's still there. Yeah, I think. Like, um, and that's when he then make the mock-up boat to him to shoot like opera on top. That's when they just make a platform on a smaller boat, which can actually sail. Yeah. So yeah, and then pretty much he ends up 
where he starts. Yep, yeah, right back when he starts, then, he's, he's achieved nothing. That's the whole point. Well, like, he he kind Luke. of acc- he kind of ach- he kind of claims like a small victory of sorts, really. Yeah, that he survived it, I guess. Yeah, that's basically but, um, someone's done it. Is almost like the point. And then he sells the boat back to the Brazilian. Um, yeah. Uh, rubber. Dude. Rubber baron, <laughs> and then the rubber before baron. he before he sells the boat, does he hire with the money he's made? Does he nearly hire the opera crew to kind of play yeah. on the boat? He hires a small yeah. opera crew, and they sail up the Amazon playing opera for everyone. And Klaus has a nice big chair that he doesn't sit in either. But he has a nice big chair. <laughs> which, that's a, that was an important bit, and then it finishes. <laughs> It's, I'll tell you what though, the amount of extras that wave well, at the beginning of the foot, well not the beginning, the middle of the film when they first sail off, the amount of extras that are waving them off, there's thousands of them. <laughs> I think it's like the entire city so, is turned out. Yeah. Just to see a boat go off. Is, that's... Uh, to see these mad Europeans. We've been kind of bouncing around it the entire time. What's your kind of thoughts of it? What's your final, final like, ideas I think of the, it and stuff? I think the f- film itself for me is like a three and a half four it's a good it's a it's a it's a fine film i don't think it's amazing but i think once you pair it with the other two documentaries it kind of makes this powerhouse of like yeah something really good but i think you have to watch the other two documentaries to kind of one to get the scale of like the feat of moving the boat over the mountain or whatever it is because, like as we said, you don't kind of get it in the film, but you get it in the documentary. And then yeah. in the other documentary, my best friend, uh, fiend, you, fiend, you get the uh, the relationship between the the director and the star. Yeah, and I think with all yeah. those together, it makes something really special and really unique. I agree. Yeah, I agree. But I like, totally. Yeah. But if you watch them all separate, I don't think they kind of work fully. But together, yeah. they make this great. It's like a weird trilogy. The film. Yeah, it absolutely is. Yeah, I I haven't watched this much for a single episode that we've done before. Normally, I watch one thing and I read stuff. You know, like I read what people have said and and different interviews and stuff. I don't normally watch as much, but to watch like three whole things for this and like Fitzcarraldo is not a short film. It's like two hours forty. Um, it's so it's a decent amount of stuff to actually kind of absorb. And it's but you're right. It's it's kind of worth it when it all comes together. It does make this kind of very unique kind of picture of I don't know ego egomaniac in yeah, yeah. <laughs> like kind of um you know scale of human not endeavor because endeavor such like a achievement I think the whole point is that it's not an achievement I feel like I feel like that's the point like it's a lot of pain but- and a lot of fighting and a lot of like desperation for something that was is kind of pointless or nihilist. I don't like. Maybe that isn't the point, but Werner's very hard for me to read. I have to say. What's your thoughts on Klinsky's performance in the film? Oh, that's yeah. I kind of. I don't. I don't him. think it's very nuanced because it's not like no. like you were saying with the original actor. We we assume he was going to have a growth, like a yeah. I think it was. Where he kind of, I think it's very. Like the, um, I think the original plot is very uh, um, apocalypse now. You know, like right. Okay, this one just feels of. like he's just mental at the start and he's mental at the end. <laughs> like he's <laughs> yeah, just the same throughout the whole thing. And I don't get me wrong; I enjoyed watching him. I've he's entertaining yeah. to watch. Very, but I wouldn't say it's a it's a layered performance. But um, no, no, but it is. 
it is a performance and there is nuance in it. It's, it's definitely all a that. performance. Like, <laughs> it's, it, he's committed it to it 100%. Yeah. And he's doing stuff. He's making decisions. He's doing things in that. Yeah, totally. I love the beginning where he takes, he, he you know, he, when he sails up to the opera house and he's still chugging the oar around with him. He doesn't drop the oar. <laughs> so, like, he's trying to get in the opera house waving this oar around and it's so, like, even the opening shots of him, this guy's mad. You know, like, it is. This guy's a lunatic. And But even if we watch the behind the scenes of that and the way they're stepping on the logs just to get off the boat, the, the floating logs, you're thinking, well, one of them could have just easily fallen down and drowned straight away. <laughs> It's lucky that that didn't happen. When she's wearing heels and stuff like that coming off that boat. Yeah. Oh, fair play to uh, Claudia. We haven't spoke when we spoke yeah. much about her, but you know, famed, she Italian? famed Italian. Yeah, she's yeah. she her citizenship is Italian. She was born in like French Tunisia, but she and she lived okay. in Paris. But her citizenship was Italian, and she's quite she's quite outspoken about that. Actually, is one of the most famous kind of uh, Italian actresses. Um, Fellini's Eight and a Half and stuff like that. She was in and things. Um, and I think she's she's she was in Once Upon a Time in the West as well with Jason Robards, so you almost got to be with him twice. But um, <laughs> I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't figure out if this was shot on sixteen mil or thirty five because it looked fairly grainy. I don't know about what you thought. Of you're that. right. You're right. Actually, I don't know the the. In the I'm assuming the it might be it, sixteen mil, just because the way be they had to film yeah. it. Prob- just because it's probably smaller cameras, they probably just had to yeah. kind of just quickly shoot with and stuff like that. I don't know. I agree. I think it's, I think it's similar quality to the documentary stuff, which I think was shot on sixteen as well. Yeah, I think so. I think it's probably just all shot on sixteen, which is um, well, it may at least that's a decision not to lug around thirty-two millimeter cameras. Yeah, big cameras, big Panavision <laughs> things. It's um, it's a thing. I, I what's yes. what's your? I would say I think I do like Kinski's performance. I can't quite imagine anyone else doing it. You know, like I, it's very interesting to to understand what Jason Robards might have been. But Jason Robards um, looks more like the man from Del Monte, whereas like <laughs> Jason Robards looks like he's lived in that environment for like it's like you know like how Shia LaBeouf like when he did Peanut Butter Falcon like I'm going to be a fisherman <laughs> now for like about six yes. months before I do this film. I believe he was living there for like six months before he did this film, even yeah. though I know he di- he wasn't. He just he he felt quite lived in in that environment. He felt very lived in, and he hated it yeah. as well. That Werner Herzog throws some shade at him in one of the documentaries, saying that like Klaus Kinski liked to think that he was a man of nature and was embracing it all, but he <laughs> yeah, never went into the, like... he never went into the real jungle. He stayed in his hotel, and it's only once he went in and he took a photographer and posed in the jungle. Like he like he gets quite kind of pissy about it in a fact. Like I was really he, he in the thought muck, he had like. a he had a good relationship with the native people, but you know he didn't. <laughs> he didn't. They hated him. <laughs> like, and uh, what's your opinion, like Werner generally? Like, is this like? How have you? What like is your take? I mean, well, like we were saying, he's got a vast cinematography. You know, short films. You know, full feature films, documentaries. I've only seen a handful. You know, I've seen um, uh, what's the uh, the Death Row documentary? uh, Oh yeah, that's Into the Abyss, uh, Grizzly Man, uh, Rescue Dawn. The the documentary that Rescue Dawn was based on. um, (laughs) Forgotten the name of. uh, Cave of Forgotten Dreams, Bad Lieutenant. Yeah. Those, oh, My Son, My Son, What Have You Done? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. 
those are those are what I've seen of his work. I haven't really seen much of his early stuff, so I've got that Blu-ray set. So I'm going to kind of it's now on my list of to watch Let's films. Get into so hopefully, that. Yeah. either I will either I'll get to them myself or someone will pick them for me. But I definitely <laughs> sure. want to watch some of his earlier his earlier pieces. Definitely, I definitely know more as a cinema, uh, like a like a documentarian. Like I've seen mm. like um, you know Wheel of Time uh, and Encounters at the End of the World, um, Lo and Behold, Into the Inferno, uh, like all those kind of documentaries that he's done but he must be I mean, aware of his own persona because in all his documentaries yeah. he's like the focal he's like a focal point he's a bit like yeah. he's the guy who did the Kurt and Courtney documentary I'm not saying he's any like Werner Herzog's a much better than that guy <laughs> you which one I mean uh, he did the big into the pack one but... as well yeah I can't and he kind of puts his himself in the documentary yeah um, but Werner's very aware I think he's aware of his own unique um, voice and yeah, yeah, I think he is. The only I, the only I've seen like Queen of the Deserts, the the most recent like fi- fiction feature film he's done, and I quite like Queen of the Desert. It got absolutely panned when it came out. Um, but I, as not like it's one of the only films in a portraying archaeologists in a way that I connected to weirdly, <laughs> like. And I think it's something to do with the fact that Werner actually spent tons of time with archaeologists and might have actually helped him make it. Um, but I quite quite recommend Queen of the Desert if you're interested in that time period. Okay. Like Robert Robert Patterson plays um, uh, T.E. Lawrence, you know, Lawrence of Arabia. Um, Nicole Kidman's playing Gertrude Bell, who's a very famous like um, archaeologist. And it's all about the kind of setting up of the of it's all about kind of that period of time when T. Lawrence and the kind of Arabia was establishing and things. Hey, look, um, I'm always down for a bit of our pats, and I love Lawrence. Yeah, Ar- yeah. Uh, uh, Lawrence Arabia. I've been to his grave. Uh, Have you? We've been to where he's buried. Yeah. He does a really good T. Lawrence. He really does, um, and he's really good in this. He's not like one of the. He's supporting, obviously, but it's I really quite recommend it, um, even though. It, really did get panned i'm one of the only people i think who ever said it's quite good <laughs> <laughs> but i really quite like it um verna's he's just verna's so just verna and it's just like there's n- no one like him and it's always quite exciting to kind of go into his world isn't it like it like so. nothing's nothing's boring it never like and he's he's definitely going to strive to kind of do something you know and this i mean how old is he now is he, is he in his 80s now question Possibly, possibly. Uh, let's have a look. Seventy-eight. Seventy-eight. Well, I think he's well. If Clint Eastwood's anything to go by, he's nearly like a hundred now, and he's still making films. <laughs> so hopefully, we've got a few more Werner Herzog films to come. Yeah, definitely. I, th- I hopefully get another f- uh, feature. I know he's still doing documentary. I think a documentary came out last year that he made. Um, well, I mean, so- his last feature film was what. It's only two years ago, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. Family Romance was the last one, 2019. And 2020 did a film called Fireball, <laughs> which is about the impact of meteoroids. That sounds cool. I kind of want to watch that. Yeah. Anyway, I think I think we've delved into our friend Werner quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, hopefully we'll, hopefully we'll meet him again somewhere down the road. Yeah, def, definitely. So um, what are we uh, what are we going to be nattering on about next week then? So uh, we are quite a different tact actually. We're looking <laughs> at we're looking at Krull. 
Oh, yeah. I can't wait for this. I really can't <laughs> wait for this. Which I literally only know from that poster with the uh, with the the kind of th- the the kind of five bladed thing. The the like clave, the clave or clave, clave, like yeah, that, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So this is like one of the big films that was in the wake of Star Wars, wasn't it? So you had like yeah, big space off. Yeah, like this Flash Gordon. Um, yeah. Uh, what are the other ones? Uh, oh, mine's gone dead. Anyway, I will dig yeah. into it. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll dig All into right, well, what's what the wake of Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks very much for listening, and please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on whatever you listen to us on. Be that Stitcher, YouTube, Amazon Music. <laughs> yeah, please don't forget to reach out to us on Twitter. We are at Adjust Your Track. That's with a Y-R, not a your. And please don't forget if the pitch is bad. Always adjust your tracking. <laughs> you threw a bit of spice into that then. 